podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, this is Hey Dude Shoes. This is an ad, but not for your ears, for your feet. Are they listening? Good. Hey Dude Shoes are the squishiest, airiest, lightest go-to shoes you'll ever have the pleasure of introducing your toes to. So light, a butterfly could steal them. So soft, kittens seethe with jealousy. So cushy, your hands will curse your feet for all the love and attention. Toes, you've hit the jackpot of comfy. Hey Dude, good to go to. This is the Sons of UCF podcast, your place for UCF sports talk year-round. Now, here is Adam and Mike. Hey there, welcome back to the 111th edition of the Sons of UCF show. My name is Adam, and as always, I've got UCF Mike with me. Mike, welcome back. How are you, buddy? Yo, what's going on, man? I am doing well. Glad for... uh pumped up for this episode just like always yeah you sound you sound jacked up i can't wait uh, i can't wait to to get into it we got a lot of stuff to talk about here tonight mike it's you know obviously a bit of a dead week but we've got we've got cruton there's a cruton going on out there we'll talk about some cruton uh we'll talk about uh ucf losing an offensive coach for the second straight off season men's hoops keeps getting delayed we'll do some fill in the blanks we've got some picks we've got some ucf observations we've got cal week as always not sure if you guys have heard this yet, but Mackenzie Milton is transferring. We'll get into that too. And Mike, yeah, breaking news. You didn't, I mean, I don't have the sound already. Um, and then Mike, uh, probably the bigger news is, uh, is we've got a bowl game to, to play now. We've got an opponent. So we'll get into all of that here on the show. But before we do any of that, make sure you do us a couple of favors. First off, if you're listening to us for the first time, thanks for doing that. Make sure you hit subscribe on the little app situation you are listening to us on if that's apple if that's spotify it doesn't matter we're on them all subscribe if you want to drop a little five-star rating we won't be mad at you for that either and make sure you find us on all of our social media stuff just search sons of ucf on facebook twitter instagram odds are pretty good you will find us lurking around somewhere in your socials mike but let's get social first off with uh with the bowl game stuff so we knew a bowl game was uh was in reach we knew the boca bowl was it we were promised a quote-unquote likely ACC opponent turns out not so likely and uh, instead we will have the 10 and 1 BYU Cougars making the trek on down to the roofclaim.com ironic Boca Bowl to face the Knights Mike uh, so first things first your thoughts on the matchup are you good with BYU and not a quote-unquote likely ACC opponent I think this worked out as well as it possibly could have okay we were we were looking at who Virginia Boston College, maybe Pitt. We talked last week how we would all like to play Pitt again because we have unfinished business with them. Uh, some of these other ACC schools, nobody really got excited about. We knew we were not going to be playing Miami. Definitely probably we're not going to be playing Florida State. I don't think they're even going to a bowl. So it was these middle-tier ACC schools. None of them are ranked. You know, None of them, if we beat them this year, I don't know how much credit we'd get for them. And so I think BYU is a great opponent for us. They're ranked right now in the top 20, top, I think, number 15 right now, right? Yes. Uh, they have a quarterback that's considered by many as a first-round pick, maybe a top 10 pick. Yes. Uh, we we have some history with them. We played them twice. We won one. We lost one. So it's a rubber match there again. So I like the matchup. I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't know what people are, would be complaining about. 
Agree. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the ACC, the likely ACC opponent thing really kind of took a hit. Uh, Pitt decided they were not going to play in a bowl. Uh, Virginia decided they were not going to play in a bowl. Boston College decided they were not going to play in a bowl. That left us with Virginia Tech as an option. Um, and then, obviously, with the, the slate of games this weekend, um, you know, Miami, North Carolina were both probably out. To your point, FSU was not going to uh, I mean, I guess if they wanted to go to the Boca Bowl, I'm sure Boca would have had them, but I don't know that that was something they wanted to do. So it looked like our options were dwindling at, at some point on, on Saturday or Sunday. We were waiting to see if uh, Virginia Tech wanted to play. That was kind of like, you know, where the rumors were is the Virginia Tech players were going to take a poll to see if they actually wanted to go to a bowl. So it could have been a lot worse. Uh, and, and so BYU steps in, Mike, and, and they are, like you said, they're a quality team. They're a 10-1 team. Uh, we, we're getting, uh, we'll get into their schedule here in a little bit. Uh, they're a ten and one team. They're a ranked team, and uh, let's let's not forget, Mike. Everybody this season has been talking about them as sort of the anti UCF, right? They were the the you know quote unquote group of five school that was doing it the right way. They were playing hard. They were keeping their mouth shut. They were just beating opponents, and uh, and so uh, ironically enough, uh, you know ESPN, uh, the E stands for entertainment, uh, and they've put together the uh, anti UCF versus the real UCF. I guess you know to your point, you can't get much better than that. Right. I was scared that after all the ACC teams were backing out that we would get dumped in maybe with a Sun Belt team or a Conference USA team. Typically, that's what the Boca Bowl gives you is one of these G5 schools. I mean, we could have ended up with like last year we played Marshall. This year could have been like a Georgia Southern or a Liberty or a school like that. A team that none of the fan base would have been excited to play. A team that if we lose, it knocks us down another peg in the eyes of the nation among G5 schools. So I think we actually have more to gain than we have to lose in this game. I mean, we're going to be the underdog. BYU's had a very good year. I mean, you want to talk about who they played? Okay, but they've only lost one game, and they only had two days to prepare for that game. Mm -hmm. So against an undefeated team, they've had a good season. You know, they've had a very good season, and I think it's going to be a fun matchup. I mean, you talk about their offense and our offense, people are going to be wanting to watch this game outside of the the playoff game and the the P6 New York six games. I think this is one of the, the most exciting games you, you can put together. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to give you some reasons. I'm going to go home alone style here and give you some reasons why this is exciting. So a, like I said, this is the anti UCF versus the UCF matchup, right? This is a chance for us to reclaim the sort of the top spot. Everyone's all over coastal Carolina this year and, you know, BYU and Cincinnati and rightfully so they're all having great years. But how, how quickly uh, the media and the national folks have forgotten that UCF paved this way after everything they've gone through in the 17 and 18 seasons, right? So, you know, now all of a sudden it's it's our chance to kind of reclaim our spot to say, hey, everybody, don't forget about us. Yeah, we're, we've had a, uh, a quote-unquote down year in, in the minds of some, but this is a chance to, to make sure our name gets back out there and it shows everybody, you know, who we are and that we – we are that that group of five school. We were the ones that kind of paved the way for everybody else. So for those who may have forgotten us, gives us a chance to give that an, uh, give them a reminder. Two, it gives Dylan Gabriel an opportunity. Listen, we're going to talk about Mackenzie Milton in a second. It's no secret he's transferred. It's no secret that uh, obviously uh, you know Mackenzie's perspective on it was he was leaving to to a you know give Dylan a shot to play, but b also play in his own. But you know, so this is now firmly Dylan's team. And let's be honest, Mike, there are people out there who think that this is the wrong decision. They think that, you know, maybe Dylan should have stepped aside for a season, let McKenzie have one final run with UCF. And so there are probably a handful of people out there, whether they want to admit it or not, that maybe are not sold on Dylan. And they're not sure that he's the guy and they're clamoring for McKenzie. 
you know what, if he goes out against the BYU team, that's, you know, played pretty well all year. Um, hasn't given up really a ton of points. He had a couple games. I think the most points have given up all season long. Let me look quickly is 26 uh, is the most points have given up all year. So uh, if he goes out there and lights up a BYU team, I mean, that's a, that's a quick silencer for everybody, right? That's a, that's a, Hey, I can put this team on my back. I am the quarterback for this team and I've, I've got this thing going forward and we're going to be just fine. And then D this is the Josh Heupel game. Right, everyone's been talking about Heupel, and you know, can he win the big one? Can he win the close one? Can he bit a big team? You know, he's getting a little bit of flack for the McKenzie stuff, right? Why did you do this? Maybe you should have kept him. Uh, obviously, all of us, you, you and me included, have talked about Heupel's job status. This is his chance, Mike. This is his chance to 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 get back on a good foot, to get UCF back in the in the positive light, and good momentum going into 2021. Uh, and gives him an opportunity to silence the doubters out there who say that he can't win the big one. He can't beat a big team. So I think there's three reasons. This is an actually really compelling, uh, compelling matchup on, uh, on bowling on, I guess next Tuesday when, whenever this game is played. Say what you want about bowl games. A lot of people don't take a lot, put a lot of stock in bowl games. They think of them as exhibitions. They don't mean a lot. A lot of players uh, opt out of bowl games that are not part of the playoff, but they are big. When you, when you come down to ranking teams to start the next year, how, what the last thing people saw from you is what they're going to go into next year thinking. That, that's the reason we started off this year ranked, because we finished a year strong last year against Marshall, finished in the top 25, and they gave us the credit coming into this year. And if Dylan Gabriel can go out in this game and put up a big number against a team that everybody thinks is a really good team, then absolutely he's going to start getting – he's already going to be getting a lot of publicity going into next season as it is. If he comes in with off a big win this year against BYU in the bowl game, he'd be getting even more hype going into next year. And as for Hypel, you're right. He's only been the underdog, I believe, twice yep. in his time at UCF, the LSU game and then Cincinnati game. Oh, and two. And he has, exactly. He's not won one yet, and he needs to pull one of these out. So he pulls this one out here. It's a good win for him. And same with, with Gabriel. Hypel and Gabriel's team going forward, no more Mackenzie Milton. There's no more ties now to the 2017 season. This is Heupel's team now, and he's got to start making his mark. This is this game can get us back in the top 25 with, with a, a nice convincing win against a, a good team. Um, lots to still be made coming out of this game. We, we can set ourselves up nicely. Remember, we start the season with Boise State next year, mm-hmm. another G5 showdown. So we come into that game coming off a win here against BYU and then beat Boise State next year. What other teams other than Cincinnati? And you know we're going to get a shot at them later next year too. So we can catapult ourselves right back to the top of the G5 class with a win starting this week. Look, and I don't want to make this entire show about <clears throat> about McKenzie, but one of the things that you know McKenzie did is he played really well in the big games. And, and granted, uh, the stages were different on the games he played in because obviously these were quasi-playoff games and conference championship games and things like that. But, but Dylan has that stage here. To your point, you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, BYU's quarterback, Zach Wilson, has largely been regarded as a, as a potential top draft pick, right? He's one of, those, one of those top guys that everyone loves from a quarterback standpoint. He's put together a really solid season. Uh, if, if Dylan Gabriel is able to go out and, and out-duel Zach Wilson, uh, lead the team to a convincing victory, yeah, I mean, he, he puts himself in that, in that list, Mike, and he gives himself that game. What is, I was thinking about this earlier today. What is Dylan Gabriel's signature game so far at UCF? Now, I, I get he's only played uh, a little bit, you know, less than, you know, what was it, uh, 20-ish games so far as a, as a UCF Knight. What is his signature game in your mind? And when, when someone says, hey, the Dylan Gabriel game, what game comes to your mind? The first one that jumps out at me is the Stanford, Stanford game yeah. last okay. year. 
at home. I mean, it was only his second start, but he came out on fire that game, and we lit them up early. Uh, you know, what else is there? <laughs> he's had big, huge performances, and not to take anything away from the kid. He's had monster games, over 400 yards, but against who? Against East Carolinas and teams like that. Um, the, the game against the Cows this past couple weeks ago. But has he done it against one of these big teams? Now, he hasn't really played a lot of big teams. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Stanford was one of them. Uh, the Pitt game last year, he struggled. The Cincinnati games the last two years, yeah, he played decently against Cincinnati this year. The one interception was not his fault. It went right, right off of Marlon Williams' hand. Um, but you know, he he doesn't have that signature win yet. That signature moment that that come from behind win. He could have had it at Memphis this year. Had Obarski made the kick, that would have been another one because he had a huge day that day, six hundred yards and another fifty yards passing. That could have been in a signature game, but we ended up losing. So it's got to be in a win. He's got a chance here against BYU. We have a lot of history with BYU. I mean, we've only played them twice, but two games that were very competitive. One in Provo, we only lost by seven, and we beat them by seven in overtime here in Orlando. Two very good, exciting games. And don't forget, I told you about the history of Dylan's dad against BYU. You've been all over this Hawaii. one. Yes, you have. You've been all over this one. <laughs> 30 years ago, I tried to make the comparison when we were playing Cincinnati. I try to draw the, the the line there, but this is very clear now. We're playing BYU themselves, and they're coming in as a top-ranked team with a, a highly touted quarterback, just like his dad did 30 years ago, and his dad lit him up. Actually, he beat him twice. He beat him in 89 and in 90. So the Gabriels with a very good history against BYU. They probably hate the Gabriel family over there in Mormon country. So <laughs> let's give them another reason <laughs> to, to not be happy with him. Well, you so again, Dylan's had some great, statistical games. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to say he hasn't, right? People are going to jump down my throat. I mean, the kid threw for 600 yards against Memphis, right? Uh, I mean, he threw for 400 yards, one, two, three, four, three times this year. Um, I mean, he's got 30 touchdowns on the year. I mean, he's, he's had a phenomenal season. He's got really good statistics. But, yeah, to your point, that signature game that you think of, um, and that's where this just, to me, you, sometimes you wonder if things are just kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to call them fate, um, but you can see this setting up the right way, right? We, the, the, the legendary quarterback just steps aside for this young kid. There's a bunch of people who are kind of, you know, like, ah, I don't know. He's good, but maybe, I don't know. And as much as people don't maybe want to admit it, there's probably some people out there who think it's the wrong decision. And he gets a chance to go in and play a tough opponent and play a school that, you know, again, frankly, right now people think is are, are better than us, or they're, they're, at least they are playing better than us. And a quarterback who people think is better than him. I mean, this is just an opportunity to write this signature script on sort of his his coming out party. Um, and, you know, sometimes you wonder if things are too perfect, if it makes too much sense. But uh, you, you can definitely see things kind of setting up that way. But obviously the – you know, Dylan's only one piece of this thing, Mike. BYU is a tough team. Let's go through their their stuff quickly. They're ten and one. Obviously, they're independent. Here are their victories this year: uh, Navy, Troy, Louisiana Tech, um, University of Texas San Antonio, Houston, Texas State, Western Kentucky, Boise, North Alabama, and San Diego State. And you said it earlier their lone loss was a, a game that got scheduled and played within seventy two hours. A twenty two seventeen Coastal Carolina uh, loss. They actually ended up getting down to the one yard line, and uh, when the when the time expired, so certainly that game was a lot closer, Mike. So a ten and one uh, BYU team. They've looked like world beaters all year long. Um, again, the you know the closest game they had a twenty seven twenty win over Texas San Antonio. Other than that, Mike, everything has been at least a twenty point victory um, for them outside of San Diego State this past week, fourteen ten. Um, but they've they've been they've been hurting people so far this year. 
Some of that may be a little misleading. The one game I actually did kind of watch a lot of of theirs was the Houston game. And they were trailing against Houston in the fourth quarter. Ended up scoring late and then getting a turnover with another score. And, and they kind of, I think they put like three touchdowns on the board in the fourth quarter to run away with it. But they weren't having that easy of a time with Houston. Uh, and the, the rest of their schedule, I mean, you went through the names. Nobody on there you'd be scared of. I think we could we could probably run the table against that schedule too. And Coastal Carolina is a good team, and they were one yard away from beating them. One yard away from right now being undefeated and having a shot at a New Year's Six game is where this team is. And now they're playing a three-loss American team in Boca. And that, that's what, that's their reward for the season they're having. What's wrong with Boca? A fourth-place team from the American. But, uh, I mean, it's a game that people want to see. Uh, I think if you follow the media – a lot of guys that cover college football, they're, they're excited about this game because of the offenses. And going back to Dylan just for a second, remember I, I drew this comparison like last week or a couple weeks ago with the 2012 season where Bortles had a, a you know, he kind of started putting things together in 2012 later in the year. And then he had a big game in the bowl game against Ball State that led to the 2013 season that he, we all remember. This could be the same thing for Dylan Gabriel. He comes out here in this game and puts together a nice performance and a big win, set everything up perfectly for next year. Well, again, he's, he's one part of it. So a couple of pieces to the story to, uh, to make sure that we're clear about. So um, nothing has been officially reported, but I think we can certainly, um, we expect that there will be a, a number of players from UCF who you should not expect to see in this game. I think it's, it's probably pretty common knowledge at this point. Marlon Williams has declared himself eligible for the draft. I think he's had some surgery to clean up some injuries and get prepared for the draft time. So Marlon Williams is probably a name you should uh, you should not expect to see in the field. Parker Boudreau hasn't played all year long. Uh, the team is out practicing and, and they're doing their thing. And, and Parker's social media has him taking pictures of himself in, his own, in, in a lonely gym, which lead one to think that he's currently not practicing with the team. There's rumors going around. Obviously, he's always had this wrestling career rumor happening. There's rumors that maybe that's a thing. Uh, so I don't think we should expect to see Parker Boudreau out on the field. Then you've got uh, the two uh, defensive guys. You've got Richie Grant and Aaron Robinson. Both have accepted invites to the Senior Bowl. Um, I don't think anything has been officially announced, but I think there are some uh, there's some people leaning towards not anticipating seeing either of those three uh, those two guys out there in the field. And then you've got a couple other guys. Jacob Harris accepted some sort of invite to some sort of a uh, a showcase situation. He was pictured on some of the stuff UCF put on on social media. Obviously, we knew uh, Otis Anderson did not play in the uh, in the Cows game. He is also being pictured, so we're not quite sure his status, but it seems like he's out there at least practicing. Same thing with Greg McRae. Uh, Trey Nixon, same thing. Uh, but again, if, if he's a guy who's thinking about testing the draft, he's obviously had an injury. It would make some sense for him to sit out. We saw uh, Stefan Zaya sit out the uh, the Cows game. So we, we probably could expect, Mike, that we'll have a handful of guys uh, who won't be out there, um, particularly uh, two big guys in the defense in, in Grant and Robinson. For sure, Grant and Robinson, um, I can say I don't think he's going to play. But the offensive guys, I think most of them are going to be back, except for Marlon Williams. I think we're going to have pretty much our full stable of weapons. I expect Otis and McCray to be back there. They've been practicing with the team. Trey Nixon I expect to play, too. He's only been back for a game. I think he's got to prove, even if he wants to go in the draft this year, I think he still needs to prove that he's healthy and he can put together a few games here. He has a nice bowl game here. Maybe then he decides to leave. And Jacob Harris, he needs to put as much on film as he possibly can. <laughs> he had a great game against the Cows. Three touchdowns, 
the potential is there. He needs to show consistency. So he needs to have a big game here and then go to the showcase wherever he goes and, and impress some scouts there. Maybe he's got a shot. But I expect the, the weapons to be there. The thing that scares me is the defense, especially the secondary. Losing Grant, Robinson, a lot of experience. We're playing now with a lot of young guys. I mean, the last couple of games, those were the two guys that actually had the experience after losing Collier and all the other guys from the incident in November. Now we're short two more guys from a defense that did not look sharp against the Cows. Uh, don't know what to expect out of those guys, especially going up against a BYU offense that could put up some points. Well, here's another stat that's going to be a little bit concerning. So BYU's offensive line, one of the things that BYU gets touted for is the, their physicality on both sides of the line of scrimmage. BYU's offensive line, I did some math here, Mike, they average about 305 across the board. If you use the defensive line that we started against the Cows, which was Landon Winston, Noah Hancock, Antonio Montalvo, and Tremon Morris-Brash, those guys combined average 263 pounds. So we're giving up about 40 pounds offensive line to defensive line. And those are those are just the guys we start. Now, again, we have some guys off the bench. Uh, uh, Cam Good goes 295. Keenan Hester goes 275. Chris Deloach goes 265. So you've got some some beef off the bench there. But, uh, I mean, that that's something to think about. You know, if, if they control the line of scrimmage uh, and when we can't get any pressure and they can continue to just, just wear on our guys all day long, that's certainly a recipe for disaster. Obviously, Zach Wilson gets a lot of publicity, but they have a running back, Tyler Algier, almost a 1,000-yard rusher, 12 touchdowns on the year. So certainly not afraid to run the ball as well. Uh, and so that, that that's a that's a concerning piece. Obviously, the secondary is one thing, but if we can't get any pressure um, and the secondary can't hold up, I mean, that's just a – that, that's a that's a bad day just waiting to happen. Same thing with uh, with the running game. If we can't get any and any gap integrity, uh, and as much as these guys have, have have played well, a guy like Traymond Morris Brash, he's he's known to get outside of his gap a little bit and uh, and get upfield and and give up gaping running holes. We saw that against the cows. So uh, it, I assume Randy Shannon's still employed. He has not been in any photograph that UCF has put out of anything. Like every other coach has been there. I've seen all of them in the photographs. I'm like. Zerbruder filming this thing too. I'm 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 zooming in. I'm trying to find him anywhere. You don't see him pictured anywhere that I can see. So I assume he's still employed with us. And if so, he's going to have to come up with a really interesting game plan to stop a a BYU team that's that's pretty good on execution on offense and certainly will have the size advantage, especially up front with the big boys. That's always a concern. Anytime we play a P5 school, and BYU is considered that with their reputation. The, the offensive, the defensive lines, how we stack up, that's always a concern. You don't worry about our skill position guys against any school. You know, our wide receivers, uh, running backs, you can put up them up against anybody. But on the lines is where we traditionally struggled and have don't have as much depth as some of these other schools. This is going to be a tough matchup for us. So you mentioned the size difference. Are we going to be able to rotate six, seven, eight guys on the defensive line? That's going to be the key, I guess, because you just don't want to get worn down in the fourth quarter. Exactly what happened with, even with the Cows. Just on the field for way too many plays. you got to be able to get other guys in there and get them off the field on third down. Just you know, create turnovers like we've done all season long. If we, can, if we can do that, create turnovers like we did against everybody else, I think we'll be okay. Well, this is where, I mean, we've talked about the D-line being, you know, kind of out outnumbered just in terms of, of pure body mass. Uh, and the secondary being outnumbered, probably in terms of experience. 
Uh, but you think about games where we've played like this in the past, where we've had, you know, a veteran, or maybe a, a sort of a size difference on the on the offensive defensive lines. What we've typically had is we've had linebackers who were able to cover up for that. Shaquem Griffin in the uh, in the Peach Bowl comes to mind. I don't remember off the top of my head, you know, what our what our average weight was on the D line that year, but Shaquem was everywhere making plays from the linebacker spot. So can our linebackers hold up, Mike? Obviously, we have two young guys. I think we've been really excited about what we've seen from Tatum Bethune lately. Uh, John Baptiste has, has played okay in spots. Uh, I think Gilliard, you know, I've, I've been one. I've, I thought he would have a great career at UCF. I think he's had an okay career, but he hasn't had that signature moment. You know, this could be an opportunity for the linebackers to really have to step up and, and make some big plays, particularly if, again, you don't have Aaron Robinson behind you making uh, making plays. You don't have Richie Grant behind you making plays. And those are two of the leading tacklers in the team. So, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, is this is this a spot where basically the linebackers have to step up? Really, what we've said to here, if you've listened to any of this, is basically our whole defense is a problem, and uh, and we've got to figure out a way to uh, to to hold up against a a BYU team that's you know put up forty or fifty points in pretty much every game except for one, two, three this year. So um, it's a uh, it's going to be a tough test. These young guys are not they're not young anymore. They've played a couple full seasons, just like with Dylan Gabriel. Going into next year, you can have a big game from this year at the end of this year to springboard just next year. You can say the same thing about our linebackers and the, and the young defensive guys. I mean, even the freshmen, Thornton, guys like that, they've played a lot this season. So that, that can't be an excuse anymore. But we got to find a way to get some kind of pressure. Cam Good up the middle, something to disrupt these guys. Sell a scar. Have a game like he had against Georgia Tech. Yeah. You know, <laughs> something, somebody's going to have to step up and have a big day and take some pressure off the secondary. Yeah, we're going to need so, a, a special performance, right? Yeah, to your, like I don't want to compare anybody to Shaquem um, in that Peach Bowl, but we're going to need a, a, a that type of performance, somebody playing really just outside of their head uh, to, to help us out. A couple of things else on, on BYU to think about. They have some a pretty decent um, receiving core. Uh, Dax Milne, 1,000-yard uh, receiver, uh, eight touchdowns, Mike. Here's what scares me. They have a guy named Isaac uh, Rex, maybe his last name is, um, tight end. Uh, 10 touchdowns on the year. We, we, we haven't necessarily been great at covering the tight end. I feel like particularly because that requires some of our linebackers and some of our cover guys in the secondary to help out. Uh, so if they're going to, if they're going to throw the tight end 33 catches on the year, 10 TDs, he's obviously a red zone target. Uh, that's not something that's been a strength of ours too. So it's, it's going to be a tough matchup now to be fair, BYU has to match up with us, right? And, and have they seen an offense that has our speed have they seen a quarterback that has our, uh, you know, Dylan Gabriel's arm and his accuracy? Uh, have they seen guys out of the backfield who can do the things that, you know, that we know those guys can do? Um, have they seen a guy like Jay Flash? Uh, who knows? Losing Marlon's going to be tough. But, you know, can be why you keep up with, with our offense. I guess that's the, that's the flip side that you have to think about. Right. For, I mean, for as good as BYU is, can they even play better than the Cowboys played against us? Because, I mean, if they're scoring that much, who can score more? You know, they scored plenty of points. It's not like we were stopping them. So, I mean, we're just going to have to match them score for score with our offense, which I'll put our offense up against anybody. We can put some points on the board. Maybe one of these games, whoever has the ball last kind of deal, which is fun. For a bowl game, that, that's kind of what you're looking for. You want an exciting game. You don't want one of these 6-3 to three snooze fests like we had in the Liberty Bowl against Mississippi State, freezing our butts off. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, you want some excitement. Even if you end up losing the game, a nice competitive, fun football game is the way to end the season. And that's what we'll have, Mike. Tuesday, uh, 7 p.m., uh, the uh, uh, roofclaim.com, 
Boca Raton Bowl. It'll be on ESPN. There are, uh, I think I saw you post, Mike, there are some tickets available. You and I are recording this on Monday, uh, the 14th. Uh, some tickets still available based on what you saw, yes? Yeah, it was a little weird. Last night, I, I was. T- I keep checking the seats. My other buddy still hasn't purchased his. And last week, last week when ours went on sale, there were a bunch of them scattered around the sidelines. And then over the weekend, those went away. And they were only selling the, the end zone seats. And I said, wow, maybe they sold out all those. But no, because today, they re- reopened those sideline seats back open again. So plenty of seats still available between the, the 10 and 10-yard lines down the sideline. We're going to be sitting at the 50. We got in early. We got good seats. I like our seats. Our seats are basically exactly where my season tickets are at, at the UCF games. On the 50-yard line, halfway up the, the second level, you see everything perfect from there. I'm very excited about our seats. But still, I think a couple left in our section, maybe resales. But then a couple sections over, there's still seats available. And then tomorrow, well, who knows when you guys listen to this, but by Tuesday this week, they should be reopening up the BYU sideline. And they have similar to what we have in the cabana, like a uh, they call it the Hyundai deck over there, where you can stand and watch the games. Um, so th- th- there should be plenty of seats available. Uh, if you want a ticket, you can get one. And I would get them through Ticketmaster because people that have put them on StubHub, they they've jacked up the prices ridiculously, selling them for like three, four hundred dollars. Which you can get them right now, a nice sideline seat for sixty-five bucks, or the end zone for forty. Good seats still available. So uh, if, if you can, make it down to Boca. It should be a fun time. It'll be the first time, the Sons of UCF, first time uh, we've actually seen each other since the show started, I believe, if that's correct. Um, yeah. I've got a bit of an issue, though. I'm, I'm 0-1 in bowl games in the last couple of years, so hopefully I don't bring another jinx with us. <laughs> but uh, So we will, we'll be down there. We'll get you more info on that. We'll, we'll, set you, we'll let you guys know where we are if anyone wants to say hello or whatnot. There's social distancing and whatnot, but we can wave at you from afar. Uh, who we're not going to be waving at, Mike, is our uh, – our now former uh, co-offensive coordinator and running back coach, Anthony Tucker, who um, initially, initially for me at least, head-scratchingly left to become the offensive coordinator at Utah State, which didn't really make a ton of sense until you look into it for just a second and you realize that he's going to be the primary play caller, gets a little bit of a pay bump, and uh, he previously coached under Blake Anderson, who is now the new head coach at Utah State. So uh, for the second straight uh, off season, we lose an offensive coordinator. All this time, more of a co-offensive coordinator. But uh, obviously, Anthony Tucker's been a uh, a stable uh, in the hypo staff since he's been here. Uh, the running backs have obviously been a very talented group. He's been responsible for that, Mike. Uh, so Anthony Tucker no longer with the staff. Obviously, no word on what that means. I assume that means hypo will continue to call plays and Golish will pick up maybe more responsibilities in the short term, Mike. But um, your thoughts on the departure of Anthony Tucker? When you look at it on the surface, it seems like a lateral move, offensive coordinator here to an offensive coordinator there. But as we all know, he's not really an offensive coordinator here. I mean, just in title alone, Heupel is the true offensive coordinator. So he has a chance to go call plays and make a name for himself over there. It's good for him. And if he's getting more money, good for him. And he's working with a guy that he's worked with before and in Utah. It's not a horrible place to live. It's not like he's going – to some uh, like Arkansas or someplace in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> there goes, our, there goes our Arkansas, Arkansas fan base. <laughs> <laughs> Arkansas is an SEC school, I know, but I mean, who wants to live in, in some of these cities across where some of these universities are? Sure. Uh, Utah State is in, in what city? Salt Lake City? Uh, hell if I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I didn't think you were going to hit me with the, where the Utah State references. I'll, I'll look it up for you, though. Um, so, uh, you yeah. know, I, I don't think it hurts us 
much losing him. I'm not around the guy every day in practice, so I can't tell you what he brings every day. But on a game day, he's definitely not calling the place. I don't know what exactly he's doing on the sideline. So I don't think as a UCF fan, we're going to miss him much. I don't really remember seeing him that that much. I'm sure he was on the sidelines, but he was not something I pay attention to. Like, where, where's Anthony Tucker during the game, you know? So it, 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 this happens in college football. The staffs change over all the time. And Hypo kept his staff together for the first couple of years, and now you can see more and more guys leave. And, and head coaches go through thousands of assistant coaches. If they're a head coach for a long time, O'Leary had – hundreds and hundreds of assistant coaches over his time That's a lot so it's just something you gotta get used to utah state is in logan utah like uh i hear it's beautiful there actually the campus right. looks really nice in the picture they have here um yeah it's, it's tough to tell how much a loss sometimes these guys are um because yeah we don't get to interact with them we don't get to see what they're doing we don't get to understand how you know how they uh you know how they run the team how they run their um, their position groups obviously with tucker being the co-offensive coordinator what you know does that really mean anything it's hard to say I think he was a passing game coordinator last year. I never really understand what that means. Maybe somebody smarter than football can explain to me what a passing game coordinator is versus an offensive coordinator. But um, but anytime you have continuity, uh, you know, turnover like that, you know, there's 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 bound to be some people who are who are upset that he's gone. Obviously, some names are already being thrown about. A couple things that I think I can confirm for you right now. Kevin Smith, I'd love to have him back. He makes more at Mississippi State now as a running backs coach than we paid Tucker as a co OC. Wouldn't seem likely we can get that money match now. If somebody else on the staff leaves and, and Heupel's, you know, assistant pool money changes, perhaps. But as much as I would love 24K back, it seems unlikely just based on the finances. Uh, Tyson Hinshaw uh, recently let go as the QB coach uh, at Kentucky. Again, we have a running yeah. back coach position available. I don't know how that works out, if he can do both. I don't know what his money situation is. I'm willing to bet he was probably making more because he's an SEC school. Same thing with Kevin Smith. Uh, so I don't know if he's an option as well, but I know that his name has been thrown about two guys who I would love to have back. I just don't know if it works out financially unless something changes with Hypel's assistant pool and, or one of these guys just really wants to get back to Orlando. <laughs> something that I thought was funny. You just talked about uh, Tucker was the passing game coordinator. coordinator, passing game coordinator, but he, but he was the running, running backs, backs coach. coach. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> it's a little weird. If you figure that the passing well, it's, it's easy, Mike. Hold on. It's not that hard because if he's not he, if he's not running the ball, then they're throwing it, right? So he's like, hey, all right, well, I know we're not running it. I guess we can throw it then. It's maybe it's easier than you think. <laughs> I don't know. It seems like a quarterback coach or a wide receivers coach would be better off being the passing coordinator. Maybe <laughs> he could have been a, or the running coordinator. I don't know. It seems a little weird. But for these other guys, we've talked before about having an all UCF coaching staff one day. We'd love to have these guys back on campus, any one of them, Kevin Smith, uh, Darren Hinshaw, any of these guys, Schneider we've talked about before. Uh, but it, eventually it'll happen. Who knows if it has happened under Hypo? Eventually these guys will come back. I'm sure that a lot of them would love to come back to, to Orlando. Why wouldn't you? you know, that's where they're, they're from. Everybody always wants to, to coach at their alma mater. And like I said, the city plays a big part too. Living in Orlando has to be better than living in Logan, Utah, I would think, but maybe not for Anthony Tucker. And then while we're on the coaching news really quickly, obviously a bunch of uh, head coaching jobs have opened up. Uh, it's interesting how this goes, Mike. Uh, you know, two years ago, uh, every time a, a job opened up, Heupel's name was listed. Even last year, Heupel's name was listed every now and again. Got a handful of openings right now. You've seen a smattering of Heupel listed as an option, but nowhere near as much as you have. Um, so Auburn is open. Doesn't seem like Heupel's a fit for that role. I think they've got a couple guys in mind, probably more high-profile coaches there. 
so that job's open. And then Arizona, poor Kevin Sumlin, uh, six degrees of UCF, Kevin Sumlin, who by all accounts was one of the top choices for the job after Frost left that actually went to Heupel. His name was mentioned as a possible candidate um, in an Arizona newspaper for that opening. Although, to be fair, they listed like 10 candidates, so they just pretty much threw every coach's name at the wall there. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. Um, you know, obviously, Heupel, uh, his buyout, I think, decreases on the 23rd um, from a pretty significant amount to a, a much smaller amount. So with some coaches open, coaching openings, we'll see if Heupel's uh, name actually comes to fruition. Right now, there's not a ton of smoke on that on that front yet, Mike, but obviously something... I guess to keep an eye on uh, and see if his name gets mentioned elsewhere. Well, if he has a huge game against BYU, maybe that the talks ratchet up another level, but I got to think he'd want to stick around at least one more year with Dylan Gabriel. See how that goes. And he has a big year with him next year and you probably get some big offers coming in after that. Yeah. I mean, you never, it's code. You never know. Right. I mean, a strange thing has happened. I don't think anyone thought Gus Malzahn was going to get fired as when he did. So, uh, but the dominoes are where you, you worry, you worry, right? Because then you hear about Mario Cristobal, maybe taking that job. That means Oregon's open. Oregon likes to throw the ball around is, you know, is that a hypo type of thing? Who knows? So, uh, anyway, it'd be interesting to see if that comes to fruition, right? Because there's been a lot of anti hypo slander. Uh, you and I are not, uh, are not innocent in that regard. So it'd be interesting to see if that actually comes to fruition, uh, kind of where things fall at that point. But, uh, that's kind of the, the update as, as it relates to the team, the game again, uh, roofclaim.com bowl, uh, Tuesday, in Boca Raton against the BYU Cougars. But like, let's take a quick little breather here. Um, we'll grab a commercial and then we'll get to, uh, we'll get to the McKenzie stuff. Uh, it's out there. People want to talk about it. I'm sure. So we'll give you a couple quick thoughts on McKenzie. Um, so sit tight through this commercial and we'll, we'll be right back. All right, we're back. So, you know, uh, you know what we all knew, uh, McKenzie Milton obviously announced, his intention to transfer and, you know, we all speculated where that would be, what that would be. And on Sunday, we found out when uh, Andrea Adelson initially broke and then McKenzie um, confirmed himself on his social media, he'd be taking his talents to Tallahassee and uh, he'd be joining the Florida State Seminoles. Uh, it's obviously since been confirmed by McKenzie in a bunch of different outlets. Uh, Norvell's posted it out there. McKenzie's now gone and changed his profile picture. Uh, so, Mike, it's obviously official. It's, uh, it's, it's signed, sealed, delivered. McKenzie to Tallahassee. Uh, I know you've had some places you were okay with him going, some places you were kind of concerned about. Uh, we we kind of maybe saw this coming, but uh, thoughts now that it's official? Well, of the three Florida schools, Florida, Florida State, Miami, I think this one hurts me the least. I would have hated to see him go to the Gators for sure, and I wouldn't really have liked him at Miami either. Not that I, I, I like him at Florida State, but – I kind of had prepared myself for it. I thought he would want to stay in Florida. Turns out that was true. And, I mean, I'm not thrilled with it, (laughs) but I I can understand where he's coming from. The thing that surprised me is the the number one thing he talked about was having a good offensive line, and Florida State has struggled on the offensive line for the last few years. Maybe he knows something that we don't know. Uh, He seems to have faith in Mike Norvell, which I don't really think he's a great coach. I don't think a lot of us do. But maybe he has a nice relationship with him. And he's going to have some winnable games. The ACC is not a great conference. There's Clemson and there's everybody else. He opens the year against Notre Dame next year. That'd be a a high-profile game. That's one we can all root for him in. It'd be a nice story to have him come back in his first game and beat a top-ranked Notre Dame team. That's a good good story. He's got a couple of chances for other big signature wins. He'll play the Gators at the end of the year. He'll have a, a game against Clemson. Then he has other games where he should be able to put up some stats. 
and you know make a name for himself going into the draft next year. All right, let me let me start this off by saying I know what I'm supposed to say here, right? I'm supposed to say that McKenzie's once a night, always a night, and you know he's gonna we're gonna root for him forever. And we wish him the best. And, you know, every game he plays, we'll be cheering him on unless he plays UCF. That's what I'm supposed to say, right? I feel like that's what that's what's expected. And I largely do believe that, Mike. But I'm also kind of a bitter, petty person. So uh, a couple of things have kind of irked me a little bit about this. And, and I don't know if I'm allowed to feel this way. I don't know how fans are. I'm going to get through the, the five stages here in a second. But Mackenzie released a statement. And I don't know if this was – I don't know where she picked this up from. I don't know if this is a direct quote to her specifically or if she got this from someplace, someplace else. But this is from Jamie Say, uh, who uh, is uh, um, at Channel 6 in Orlando. And, uh, and this is what McKenzie's quote is talking about UCF. When you hear UC, uh, FSU, oh, wow, UCF, wow. When you hear FSU, you see the garden and gold. That's something that's rich in history and great players, both past and present. It's a school you dream about going to as a kid. Getting the opportunity to go there as a 23-year-old man is the perfect way to end my opportunity. And blah, 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 blah. This is a great opportunity to play at the highest level and be around some great players and great teammates at the same time. Is FSU the highest level? Like, is that is that like low key? Sh- Am I just reading too much into this because I'm bitter and petty? Is that low key shade at uh, you know uh, playing in a quote unquote group of five school? I don't think so. I don't think he means it that way. I think he's just trying to compliment Florida State and say some nice things. In the national perspectives, Florida State is in one of the highest levels. They play in the ACC, which is regarded as one of the top conferences, whether we believe it is or not. Uh, the facts of the matter is. This year, they may get two teams in the playoff. <laughs> you know, so it is highly regarded. If Florida State starts out two and zero, three and zero. They're in the top twenty-five every year, no matter what. Doesn't matter who they played for those two, three games. So they get respect just based on their name. So from that way, I can see what he's saying. I don't think he's meaning it as a, any kind of disrespect to UCF or even the American. I gotta, I gotta tell you, you actually called this perfectly, right? You were the guy last week or two weeks ago. You said, "Hey, everyone's gonna be all for McKenzie until let's see what happens when he trots out on the field." I'm not gonna lie to you, Mike. I saw that, you know, that uh, that that graphic that was made, and then I saw he, he changed his, his Twitter profile picture. I cringed a little bit. I'm not gonna lie to you, <laughs> I had a little <laughs> bit of feeling right there when I looked at. it. I was like, "Oh my god, that's that's not what I expected to see." Just a, just a little bit of feeling. There. I wonder if anybody else felt the same way. I know. We're all supposed to say great things, and I, I really do honestly mean that, Mike. I think the kid's been through enough. He deserves a chance uh, to, to live out his dream. Who am I to crush that? Um, but a little bit of me was like, oh, that's not what I want to see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how are you all going to feel week one against Notre Dame when he throws a touchdown and he starts doing the tomahawk chop? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I want him to do well. Like you said, I do want him to do well. I hope he has a good year and gets drafted and – I hope he puts up a lot of points and a lot of stats and gets noticed. But I don't want Florida State to win every single game. I don't want them to go to the playoffs and win a national championship. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't. <laughs> I just don't like them. So if he can go 8-4 and four next year, have a good, solid season, maybe have a, a nice win against Notre Dame and a couple other big games. But I don't want him, I want us to do better, no matter what it is. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I, sure. I want us to finish ranked higher than Florida State next year. And him, so at the same time, him ha- go on and have a nice NFL career. I think we, we could have it both ways. Yeah, that's what I really need. I need to have it both ways, right? I need, you know, with the Frost stuff, it was kind of easy because, A, he sort of snaked us out the door. And so there was a, there was kind of reasons to be angry at him. McKenzie hasn't done anything wrong. That's the problem. I mean, the, the kid's like a, like a, just a, one of the most perfect embodiments of a teammate and of a player and of a representative of school you could ever have. 
right? So it's hard to, to, to have any sort of like ill will against the guy. Um, you know, and so with the frost thing it was easy because he went to Nebraska, was four and eight, and we were all like, Hey, we'll see you at the at the you know, at the Fiesta Bowl. Uh, it's going to be interesting with McKenzie because, you know, we'll, we'll see where he where he goes. I mean, there's competition in the quarterback room there. Jordan Travis played pretty well. Uh, they have uh, Barack Purdy's brother, uh, Chuba or Chuba. Not sure how they pronounce that specifically. Also not sure who's naming the Purdy children. Um, and then they also have Tate Rotomaker, who's a freshman. So he's got some guys in the room there he's going to have to compete with. Um, it's a curious move, Mike. I'm not going to lie to you. I understand, you know, what – now I think I know more about what McKenzie valued. He, he wanted to stay in the state of Florida. He obviously mentioned he wanted to play in warm weather. Um, so I think those were two things. He was familiar with Norvell, knew Norvell's system. I think the offensive line thing, I think he said that initially, and I think now yeah, that's probably one of the lower priority items on his list because, to your point, he would have picked a better O-line. Plus, part of me wonders if he would have had a chance for a different school if he had waited. I know he wanted to get on campus early, but you know, with everything else going on right now, other transfers, other schools, other, you know, other coaches leaving, you wonder what other options may have been available to him if he wanted to wait. Just clearly tells me he, he had his eye set on uh, maybe one or two schools, and Florida State was clearly one of those. He got the offer he wanted, and he, uh, he, he jumped on it, which, again, you can't blame the kid if that's what he wants to do. That's what he wants to do. But uh, it is curious from the FSU standpoint because I guess you got to hope – I guess I assumed that schools would want McKenzie who felt like they were a quarterback away from really competing. And I don't – do you think Florida State's in that spot? Are they a QB away from – and I know the ACC is really watered down – but are they a quarterback away from from you know competing for a spot in the championship game and maybe even cracking a playoff? No, I don't think I think they're a few years away from that. But they can they can compete in the conference. They did beat North Carolina earlier this year. I, I don't know how, but yeah, I guess right. they did. And Miami, <laughs> and North Carolina is a decent team. No, they did not. Uh, they beat I guess it was Duke this past week. So they're not a completely inept team. They're not a great team, and he can bump them up a couple pegs for sure. But are they, would you say and, they're rebuilding? Are they? Is that a rebuilding program right now? Is that a program that they're kind of restarting from the ground up, similarly to what McKenzie walked into at UCF in 2016? Yes, I mean, he's with the coach. The coach has only been there for a year, so clearly they're rebuilding. <laughs> but I mean, maybe it has to do with other schools that he was interested in weren't ready to commit to him yet. I and mean, we're talking about signing day coming up soon. Teams may not want to have signed him this early and scared away a recruit. Maybe a team like Miami or some other schools like that. So maybe they wanted to wait and McKenzie didn't want to wait. And Florida State was one of his top choices and said, you know what, these guys really want me. Yep. And they came after me hard and I said, okay. He, he had in mind maybe one or two or three schools and if one of them really wanted him, he'd go there. And I think that's what ended up happening. Yeah, I just find it curious because you think about, so, okay, so McKenzie goes in there. Let's say he has a decent year. You know, let's say he, he helps get FSU kind of, you know, back on the, on the swing of things. Maybe they crack 500. You know, maybe they're, a, you know, assuming we play a full slate of games next year, maybe they're a seven and, you know, seven and four team, seven and five or, you know, eight and five, whatever that, you know, that their record would be. Um, but how does that help Norvell rebuild? Because then he's gone. And now he's got to go back to a young quarterback who hasn't played yet. So that's, I guess that's where it's interesting to me is you think about a situation where you're rebuilding you would think Novell would say, hey, I'm not going to compete next year anyway. Like, I don't – unless he knows something we don't know, or maybe McKenzie knows something we don't know, or maybe you and I are just idiots, um, and they're way closer to being competitive than, than we think. But if I was rebuilding a team, I would say, right, let me take one of these young guys, kind of like what Frost did with Milton in 16, and said, hey, I could start Holman all day long, and, yeah, we'll be all right, but, like, let me get this kid in there and get him some get him some reps, let him, you know, you know take a couple knocks here and, and propel us to, to the next season where McKenzie did – 
I just you wonder if if Norvell would be better served making that move again. He's the coach. I'm not. Uh, either way, I, I just hope McKenzie um, is able to go in and compete and stay healthy. And and yeah, I do want to see him play well. I don't want to see him play better than I guess than than we play. But um, yeah, it was, it was just a curious decision. And I, admittedly, I'm probably I'm I'm, I'm anti FSU more so than maybe most, just because I grew up in South Florida. And when you grow up down there, uh, you know Florida State's not really good uh, for you. But um, but yeah, I, I was I was I was surprised. And it and when I saw that that sort of Photoshop thing, I ugh, I cringed a little bit. <laughs> it's gonna be hard for a lot of people to adjust. I think, and some people are with them no matter what. There's a lot. I see yeah. a lot of people also supporting them. I'll be at that first game. And they're going to be ordering FSU jerseys, McKenzie Milton FSU jerseys. Uh, I couldn't go there. Yeah, those people are just way better people than I am. <laughs> they just deserve some sort of a Saint, you know, a Sainthood situation, maybe a, a star named after him. Because I just I don't have that kind of maturity in my life where I'm where I'm going to be like, hey, Mike, let's drive up to Tallahassee. I just don't I don't have that in me. Um, We've also never personally met McKenzie Milton. So as much as we him. love him and and love UCF and all the games and all the moments we've had with him. Us, personally, I've never met him in person. I only know him through all the interviews that most of the fans have seen. Some of these people actually have relationships with him. We talked to Jason Beatty on one of the pregame shows a few weeks ago. He's gone to school with him for the last four years. He's not only interviewed him, but he's studied with him. He's hung out with him. He's a guy that says, you know what, wherever he goes, I don't care. I want him to be happy. And I believe him. Yeah. And there's people like that too. Jan and Britt yeah. have de- developed a relationship with him over the last couple of years. And I see her saying, you know, wherever he goes, I'll be there with the jersey on and I want to support him. I understand it. But for me personally, I'm just, I'm a UCF fan. I'm a guy that does this show every week. <laughs> but I really don't know these guys. I, yeah. We kind of get to know them when we interview them, like 10 years after they're, they're done playing for us. And we get develop a little relationship like that. But personally, I don't really know Mackenzie. So looking at it as just a fan, I don't like seeing him in another uniform. <laughs> so that's just me. And, and it kind of goes back to you know the, you know my relationship with the Giants, Eli Manning. What, what did he say when he retired this year? He didn't want to go to a, another team just for one year. I know it's different in college and the whole situation is different. But his quote was, once a Giant, always a Giant, only a Giant. Yeah. I wish we could have said that about McKenzie. I understand it, but I don't have to like it. But it is what it is, and I guess I'll just have to deal with it for a year. Well, I realized I was going through the five stages of, of grief here with, with Mackenzie, right? So the first one is, <laughs> is denial, right? And if you remember, I was the one last week asking Andrea Adelson, is there any chance Mackenzie stays, right? Uh, so the denial phase. Then there's the anger phase, like FSU. Are you kidding me? How could you do? How could you go to FSU? Like, what, what happened to Ohana? We were, we were in Lays. I was all mad about it. Then there's bargaining, and you go to yourself, well, maybe – Dylan says he'll sit a year and maybe then McKenzie can play. You do the bargain thing. Then there's depression. Like I cannot believe he's in this Photoshop, by the way, they absolutely killed his arm. He'd make his arm They make, you know, his arm on that and his right arm look like, pitiful in that Photoshop. And there's acceptance where you like where you're at right now where you say, Hey, you know what? I, I wish he stayed. It's going to be hard to see him in another uniform. Ultimately though, I, you know, you want to root for the kid to succeed in life and you hope he does that. Uh, and ultimately, you know, UCF's in a good spot too. We still have a, a, a quarterback who's you know pretty talented. So, you kind of work yourself through those five stages of grief around McKenzie leaving, but uh, but now at least we know the answer to the question: Where will he go? Um, I don't know how much we'll cover it, Mike. I mean, we're not an FSU podcast. I don't know how much we'll talk about it. I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll bring up some stuff every now and again with McKenzie. But um, you know, ultimately, I do wish him the best. I certainly want to make sure that he stays healthy. Um, hopefully, FSU can take care of him. Uh, hopefully, gets a chance to get out there and and play and live his dream out. And uh, you know. 
hopefully we don't have to run into him in the, some sort of a playoff game situation because I would hate to root against him. But, um, you know, at least we have the, the final chapter, uh, at least the final page of the of this chapter is written. And uh, we move on to Dylan Gabriel and McKenzie moves on to Tallahassee. Well, I think that's the most important thing you said there is stay healthy. <laughs> that injury was devastating for all of us, especially him. And you just want him to see – Prove that he can bounce back and he can play football. I mean, Alex Smith did it. Now he's got his chance to do it. He can come back and then have a career in the NFL. That's his dream. We'd love to see it happen. Go out, have a good year in Tallahassee, and fulfill your dream, and then come back to us 10, 20, 30 years down the road as a coach and be back in the black and gold where he belongs. Well, let's let's transition from serious uh, topic to uh, to fun uh, topic idea, Mike. UCF observations. Uh, each week, one of us, and this week it's you again, um, sits down and, and just get your thoughts together. Thoughts around things going on at UCF, things around the sports world. You know, sometimes there's things we want to talk about, but we just can't fit them in the show. It's not a full segment. It's not all that stuff. So where else do you put those things in except for a brand new segment? UCF observations, Mike. You've got the uh, you've got the official UCF observations list for this week. Uh, what's uh, what's on your mind? What are your, what did you see? What are your notes? No pregame show and no live show this week. The Suns are getting lazy, my friends. What's going on here? That's fair. We took a week off here. Huh? Well, pregame for what though? What? <laughs> we have nothing to pregame. <laughs> uh, the basketball games all got canceled. There's no basketball game until Saturday at like nine o'clock in the middle of the night. Uh, so there's there's no pregame to do there. There's no football game. I mean, what do you want to pregame? Uh, no, I know. But last week we did a live show on a Thursday. Nah. This week we did nothing. That's fair. Okay. We are lazy. You're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> all the North Carolina running backs can scoot. All of them can. My word, Miami. Oof. Oof. <laughs> that was hilariously fun to watch. My oh, goodness, man. yeah. The Miami Hurricanes have been downgraded to a passing shower. Nice. <laughs> this guy's ranked number ten, North Carolina. Oh my god! Every play was was a freaking touchdown, basically. Two guys over thirteen yards a pop. Oh boy. Part of me was thinking, like, man, I wish we would have played them. Part of me was like, man, I'm glad we didn't play them. <laughs> I kind of went back and forth. It would have been great first game of the year, yeah, to, to have played North Carolina when we were supposed to. I think it's, a lot of it is when you play somebody. Sure. I think yep. early in the year they were not playing great. They opened the year a little slow, and then you know they lost the game to Florida State. There, I think early in the year we would have had them, but on this past Saturday that team showed up against our defense. I don't think we would have had much success stopping them either, and that would have been a tough bowl game for us. Miami coming into that game, you would have thought might have been a tough matchup with their offense. They looked like crap, and now everybody says, "Wow, we would kill Miami." So who the heck knows? It's all about timing. Uh, LSU beat Florida without three starting defensive backs. That sounds mighty familiar. It does. Right? <laughs> yes. Where have I seen that movie before? <laughs> Marco Wilson Ooh. making Chancla throwing abuelitas all over the world proud. I don't know what that means. I don't know. What the, one more time with that. Well, hold on. The Chancla throwing abuelitas. Okay. Yeah. Grandmas that throw their slippers at you? Ah, abuelita. Yeah, you got me on that one. You <laughs> flung that shoe 20 yards. Even the official even said, throwing the shoe 20 yards. Yeah, I was confused. If, if so, was it the yardage that got on the penalty or was it the throwing of the shoe? <laughs> if it was a 10 yard throw, was he good? I don't, I need more clarity on that. Yeah, if he just would have picked it up and flung it, 
two feet, maybe he doesn't get penalty points. Like, <laughs> he threw that thing like it was a uh, Kyle Trask bomb. Oh, wow. oh, I didn't lose any sleep over that one either. Yeah. A few good laughs. That was good. KZ going to a team with one of the worst O-lines. You know what that is? Recipe for disaster? Uh, it could be, but it's a head-scratcher. Head-scratcher. Like, it is a head-scratcher. It is. It is. We had. I, I put a call out for questions, Mike. Actually, I'll squeeze this one here because it's uh, it's on topic. Uh, let me get it to you real quick. Let me toggle here. Man, I should have produced a show better than doing this on the fly. Uh, this is from our friend um, UCF Farmer Scott. As UCF fans, as family to Mackenzie Milton, do we have the legal right to take matters into our own hands if FSU's offensive line allows KZ to get injured? <laughs> uh, well, is he talking about Violence? <laughs> Taking letters into what's he gonna do? He's gonna go up and, and fight the FSU offensive line. Uh, I don't know what we can do. We're questioning it now, that's for sure. Yeah, it's a big question where he's a head scratcher, like I just told you. Well, you see, Farmer Scott is uh, I don't know what he's if he's gathering up everything and the pitchforks ready, but uh, he, he maybe wants to take matters in his own hands if the O line gets uh, gets Mackenzie hurt. So uh, just keep that in mind. If we need to get a something put together, we'll uh, we'll figure it out. All right. Well, good luck to them. I'm sure those uh, Florida State offensive linemen, even if they suck, probably some pretty big dudes. Uh, <laughs> they need some backup going in there. We got we got a whole uh, yeah. Night Nation. We got the Twitter Mafia. We're all we're all set. Yeah. We got Trace Joko. Trace Joko. The New York Football Giants are no longer back. Nah. <laughs> that didn't last long. Nah. That 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 nah. damn football team is pretty good, huh? Can't beat the football team. <laughs> Well, we didn't play the football team. I know, but they're but they're leading they, the division. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, they got to play Seattle this week, so maybe they get knocked back down a peg too. We'll see. Still a few games to go. Ah, ACC schools such as Pitt, Virginia, and Boston College—they don't want this smoke in Boca. Apparently, what is the deal with these teams canceling? You think they're just using COVID as an excuse, or? Do you put any stock in the fact that they see UCF sitting there waiting for it and they say, no, we don't want to play UCF. We'd rather play a P5 school or we don't want to play anybody. Yeah, you know, I hate to be conspiracy theory guy, right? But so, because COVID's a real thing and I get that these kids have all been sort of bundled up in these in these bubbles and not being able to see family. It's Christmas and they maybe want to get home. So I don't want to discount that because I, I could absolutely see how that could be a thing, right? But I also think that it's, it's a, sort of a perfect storm. You know what? Hey, guys we're kind of ready for the season to be done anyway. Like, yeah, let's just get out. Like we want to go see our family. Like, let's just, let's just keep going. Let's chalk this up to 2020 move on. And then you go, ah, well now we got, you know, a UCF team sitting there. Right. If we don't have all of our guys, they're going to throttle us. If they throttle us, that's just going to make us look bad. Like, do we really want to sign up for that? It'd be interesting to find out, like if they had an opportunity, you know, tomorrow of, you know, I don't know, Pitt got invited to play, you know, Michigan or something, right? Like if they, if they change their tune, I, I do think there is an element of, there's a no-win situation for, for schools like that to come down and play us. Yeah, they don't want the smoke. I think. Or that, <laughs> yes, you probably say. just said that. A lot of smoke, not wanted. Right, if they were, yeah, exactly. Even though Michigan was not good this year, if they got invited to play them in, in some other bowl, I think they'd go for it. Yeah. Hide your kids, hide your wife. The sons are back together again in Boca this Tuesday night. 
Are you excited, buddy? I'm actually bringing my kids well, and my wife, so I'm not, hiding, yeah, I'm not really hiding any of them. Um, yeah, it's a good time, man. Uh, so I'm excited because here's the thing, Mike. So my little guy, my eight-year-old, he's not a huge football fan. He doesn't watch a lot of games. He's too busy doing other stuff. He's actually legit excited. He's got his UCF shirt uh, picked out. He told me his favorite player is Dylan Gabriel. So I'm excited that he's excited. Even my daughter wanted to go to the game. I don't know if she actually wants to watch the game. But she was like, we, we gave them the option. We said, hey, we can get tickets. We can go down. It's a long game. You know, don't bother daddy because he's going to be, you know, really focused. You know, you guys don't have to go. And they were, my daughter was like, yeah, I want to go. I want to go. So I'm excited that maybe, A, I'm, I'm burgeoning some UCF fans here and they're actually into it. And then, B, to see all you Night Nation knuckleheads, even though there'll be social distance and I got to figure out how to drink a Bud Light through a mask. Uh, I'll get all that figured out, too. But the Sons of UCF, uh, together again for the first time, we have never, this is a true story, we have not seen each other in any form, shape, or way other than the live pregame show since we started our podcast. Yeah, so 2016, even before the perfect season. Even before. I think the summer before 2017 season. That's correct. That's correct. So this podcast has gone on for 111 plus episodes without us ever being in the same room, uh, which uh, I don't know if that's cool or not, but. Uh, it'll be a good time. Hide your kids how you want. Hide your wives, except for my kids and my <laughs> wife. There. And so it's interesting. We have a little reunion, though, Mike, because my wife's coming, obviously. She is um, her old roommate at uh, UCF at the Knights Crossing uh, is going to be coming, too. Obviously, you and I will be there. We were roommates. So it's a little bit of a reunion. I don't think the four of us have been together since I don't even know when. Maybe my wedding. First birthday? Was it Addison's birthday? Was Kirsten there for that? Yeah, I think so. Well, there you go then. So Addison is now 13, so 13 years ago <laughs> is the last time the four of us were oh, no, all no, no, in the same no. room. I think, um, wasn't oh. she at the Miami game when you guys, we went to the Miami UCF game down here? That's was that, correct. That was 2008 or nine. then. Yes, you might be correct. Yeah, 2008. Okay, so 12 years. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we shaved a year off. All right, here we go. Oh, wow, that was 12 years ago too. Jeez. Which just means one thing, Mike. World. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm hiding my kid and my my kids and my wife because I'm not taking. No, I so. mean yes, but so you live here. I got, we're going down to see family. <laughs> like I, we got other stuff. I, yeah, I mean, but the little guy's excited. So I I, I, I told the little guy, I said, hey, listen, Mr. Mike knows everything about UCF. I want you to tell him a little about about Dylan Gabriel, why, why you like him, how, you know what he does that you like in the field. And he was like, okay, so you may get a an X's and O breakdown from Aiden on uh, on Dylan Gabriel. Well, you mentioned a long game. I think you, <laughs> you might be underselling it. This game starts at 7. I don't anticipate it getting over before 11.30. I think this is a four-and-a-half-hour one of these. If it's a shootout that everybody's anticipating, this could be a long night there in Boca. Especially for losing. It's going to be a really long night. <laughs> really long night. Uh, Scott Frost couldn't have a hotter seat if he was in hell. Speaking of hell, Don Williams. Yeah, poor Frost. I mean, he's going to get another year, though, man. Like, they're not going to get rid of Frosty. He's going to get another year. Um, his AD is, like, all about him right now. Like, fans are, are all kinds of pissed at him. Um, but he's going to get another year, man. I just like how everyone now is, like, he's, like, the, the laughing stock of the Big Ten or Nebraska is. Every time someone beats him, they say, hey, thanks for letting us play this year. Um, it, it's a little <laughs> bit of – so this is the petty, bitter side of me. I'm loving this part because – you know, once you're once you're out of my world, you're out of my world, kind of thing. So I mean, I'm kind of enjoying uh, seeing this a little bit um, on Frost. I don't want to. I mean, actually, I don't really care. He makes like 35 million dollars. He's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he cares much. But uh, I well, he, there was a big thing this week of him making excuses for like there was too many TV timeouts <laughs> yes, or something, yes. media timeouts. He was bringing yes. up. Uh, it's getting ugly. 
You say he's got one more year, but it can get very ugly next year. I think he's already lost now 20 games yeah. in three seasons, and that's more than like their last four or five head coaches that had lost there. Yep. Uh, he was the prodigal son coming back home, but sometimes you don't want your superstars to be your coaches. And a lot of times that doesn't work, and you have to fire them. It does not end nicely. This is what Nebraska is experiencing now. It could be an ugly ending next year. What if they hire Heupel away to replace him again? That'd be funny. <laughs> I think it was actually I was on a, another podcast this week, and I think Jeff Allen said something like, "Don't don't meet your heroes," uh, and I think that's kind of what this looks like, right? He was their hero, right? So, you know, obviously they've all met him before, but you know, be careful what you wish for, because now what do you do when your hero? You know, it's kind of Heupel esque, right? He was a he was a you know they've had a lot of great players at Oklahoma, but he was one of the better players at Oklahoma, Heisman Trophy runner up you know, offensive coordinator, and then he gets fired, right? And then it becomes this awkward thing about, you know, what do you do with your heroes? So what do you do if Frost doesn't work out there and they got to can him? It's like Yogi Berra coming back to manage the Yankees and he gets fired and then he you know, stays away from Yankee Stadium for like 20 years. And things like that, not always the best thing. Yeah. So oh, right. it's not us. It's we not us. Those are, those are, you know what those are? What we do have to deal with is UCF observations. That's what that was. We're going to take a little breaker right here. Uh, we're going to come back with my Cruton. We'll talk about some Cruton. Uh, we got some fill in the blank. We got some audience questions. We got a lot to get to, and the show is uh, still going on here. So uh, we'll be right back. Sons of UCF, episode number 111. This is UCF head coach Josh Heupel, and I go 1-0 every week with my guys Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Charge on. Go Knights. All right, Mike, as we, uh, as we talk, it's Monday, uh, and two days from now, so by the time this show is out, Wednesday is, uh, is signing day, and uh, UCF has an opportunity to, to ink a class here, and, uh, and a lot of people are asking questions about recruiting. By, by no means are we insiders on recruiting, but we'd be happy to share at least what we know and kind of what we think about so far. So if you've listened in to the first hour plus of the show, we had a breakdown a little bit about the UCF-BYU game in the Boca Bowl. And the one, uh, the, really the two areas we were concerned about the most were secondary um, and D-line. Secondary more so just because uh, a lot of young guys have to play and step up who haven't had a chance. D-line because we're just thin on the D-line. And there's aren't a lot of bodies laying around that we can roll on there, Mike. And so far, if you're looking at where we are, so again, these are verbal commits only. Nothing's on paper just yet. So these are verbal commits only on sort of where UCF is at. Uh, and you can tell of, of the last week, Mike, they have made a huge push to uh, to try to shore up some defensive line commits. So first, of, uh, first off, Malachi Lawrence, big time commit. He's uh, listed as a DE right now. They think he could be a D tackle at one point. He's out of Louisville. He announced via Twitter his intention to sign with UCF. Uh, so that shores up one spot. Uh, we uh, we inked a kid from uh, from Delray Beach uh, last week as well. So that shores up another spot. Uh, and then there's two other guys, really three other guys that are out there that UCF is in the mix for. Uh, and uh, obviously nothing uh, formal yet. But there's Anthony Hundley. He's a decommit from LSU. And Javian Gill, he's a junior college guy. So he's uh, he's got a little bit of experience already. He decommitted from Tulane. He's got a couple of uh, P5 authors offers, excuse me. But those are two other guys that UCF is uh, is efforting on the defensive line. 
And then last but not least, defensive end Deontay Anderson. He's got 14 Power 5 offers right now. UCF is one of his offers. Sounds like there's some potential uh, that UCF is optimistic here, but obviously nothing's official until it's signed on paper. 6'4 kid, 220 pounds. Uh, again, a lot of big offers on the board for him. So at least four guys right there, Mike, that uh, UCF is hopefully in the mix for to potentially kind of rebuild or reload that defensive line. Defensive line is something we've kind of been lacking at for the last couple of years now, going back to the Peach Bowl. That was a very good line with Tony Garrard and, and Tristan Hill and those guys wreaking havoc, sacking Jared Stidham how many times that day. But that's been a weakness now for the last couple of years and something we need to improve on. I don't trust anybody until they actually sign the paper, so these verbal commitments mean nothing to me. Kids change their mind every day and respect my decision and all that stuff. They put out their, their messages. I'll be happy when we get them on campus. And even then, I mean, with the transfer portal nowadays, people are come and go every year. It's not the same anymore. So even if we don't get sign a couple of these recruits, who knows with portal season, we may be able to fill in some holes that way. Yeah, that's the other interesting thing about this is now you have to manage the portal side of this because obviously there will be grad transfers out there and there's transfers in general. Sounds like obviously it's not official, but most people think that the NCAA will institute a rule now where you can transfer without without sitting out without any penalty. So that opens some other things up. So it definitely could get interesting as you think about, you know, what your options are out there. But Again, UCF in the mix for a few different guys. Uh, Zion Thomas is the other defensive tackle. He's coming from uh, Delray Beach down there. And then Matthew Alexander, he's a guy from Georgia. So uh, so certainly they've, they've made a push here of late on the defensive line commits, Mike. Uh, but a couple of names out there on, on this class so far that you've probably seen or heard. Uh, and let's start with sort of the headline spot, Mike. Quarterback position, Mikey Keene. He's a three-star kid out of Arizona. I think I just saw that he led his high school to the his, the fifth title in six years or something like that. Obviously, he's probably not responsible for all those. Uh, but uh, Mikey Keene, Mike, seems to be sort of the, uh, I don't want to call it the prize, but at least probably the biggest headline-grabbing name, three-star kid out of Arizona. Um, obviously, he's getting some push from some, from some schools. Iowa State sniffing around a little bit, so it'll be curious to see if we can hang on to Mikey. Yeah, uh, these out-of-state guys, we've, we're, we have a, a history now of getting our quarterbacks from outside of Florida. Um, uh, obviously, the, the Hawaii quarterbacks that we we brought in. And now this kid, and you love to see quarterbacks that come from winning programs, and, and he's the leader of the team, so that's a good sign right away. If, you, if they've won five out of six, I imagine he's been the starting quarterback probably at least two years, one at least one or two years. So he's, he's got a pedigree for winning. You like to see that. I mean, people are going to knock him with only three stars, and he's not from Florida. But if he's a winner, he's a winner. And you, you got to get those guys wherever you can. I mean, Dylan Gabriel wasn't from Florida, also had three stars. So, that I mean, I think that'll – you know, that kind of stuff in the quarterback spot. I think you go find the talent um, wherever that talent's at. Obviously, we just dipped into the Arizona pipeline for Parker Navarro. Don't know how that will work out just yet, but uh, – um, you know, we'll see how that looks like. Uh, we have two running back commits, Mike, and these are interesting now because of the news um, that uh, Anthony Tucker is leaving. Uh, so we have a kid named uh, Cole Sanders Jr. He's out of Texas, a little kid, 5'11", 175, um, which uh, maybe he's not that little after all, by the way. Uh, and then we have Anthony Williams out of Altamont Springs, 6'1", 195, Mike, both three-star running backs. Um, so two guys I think people like a lot. Um, uh, Williams in particular being 6'1", 195, obviously a bit of a bigger back. Um, you know, we've, we've all kind of been thinking about, could we get a sort of a bigger, stronger, more physical running back in there? Maybe Williams grows into that. 
but uh, we'll see if we can hold on to these two kids, Mike, with uh, with Tucker's announcement that he will be leaving. Yeah, that's the one thing you fear when coaches do take off. They take their recruits with them. We'll see if Tucker tries to bring them over there to Utah State. Where are these kids from? They're from Florida? Uh, Williams is from Altamont Springs, and Cole Sanders Jr. is from New Kearney, Texas. All right. But don't so, get confused with Old Kearney, Texas. <laughs> Maybe Tucker could take the Texas kid over there. I don't know if the Florida boy is going to want to go all the way up to Utah with him. Uh, it's cold. You got to think they have relationships with other guys here on the staff. And if UCF is the school they've had their eyes set on, then I, I wouldn't be worried about them leaving. Receivers, uh, looks like three in this class so far. Caden Robinson. Uh, he's only listed as a two-star guy, um, 6'2", 200 pounds. Jalen Griffin, uh, 6'3", 183, three-star guy out of Texas. Uh, and then uh, Zay Franks, my Xavier Franks, uh, three-star, 6'2", 185, kid out of Mississippi. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He committed, then he kind of softly decommitted, and he was sniffing around some other schools. And then he sort of quietly recommitted again. Uh, but he uh, announced on Twitter his intention to sign his letter of intent on Wednesday with the Knights. Uh, so three receivers in this class, which, again, you know, if we're going to lose Harris, if we're going to lose uh, Williams, if we're going to lose Nixon, uh, obviously we need some replenishments there. I know we have some young guys, Johnson and Stretch Cradle and whatnot, uh, and uh, O'Keefe and Ahmad in the fold here. So kind of reloading at the wide receiver position. All right. These guys, maybe we we're not going to see in action for a year or two, like we've been waiting for O'Keefe and Ahmad and these guys for the last couple of years. But it's good to have them in the stable, get them ready, get them accustomed to the system. The hypo system, you know, is not – it can't be easy for these wide receivers to just step in right away from day one and know exactly what the plays are coming, the way we call the plays so fast, and and have, adapt that way. So these are names you will hear on Wednesday, and you may not hear from them again for a while, but could be big playmakers down the road. Uh, the Alex Golesh effect, Mike, by the way, which I don't know if you saw Alex Golesh's uh, press conference today. He may actually have better hair than you. Uh, he has really good hair. Um, what? Two, yeah. You a redhead? Uh, I mean, kind of, yeah, kind of, you know, it happens. Right. Um, just check out, check out, check out what he's working <laughs> with there. Uh, two tight ends came in, uh, or, or will be showing up eventually, uh, potentially. Charlie Browder, a 6'7", 235 kid out of the Carolinas. And Nathan Borboom, a 6'5", 227 pounder out of Virginia, Mike. So two big old boys on the tight end spot. Leads us to think these are maybe more blocking tight ends than receiving tight ends. Who knows? Charlie Browder, though, is actually a big-time basketball recruit as well. I think he got a basketball offer recently, so he's obviously an athletic kid. So the uh, uh, the Golesh pipeline is paying off. Uh, speaking of uh, offensive linemen, looks like one, two so far committed in this uh, this particular class. Ethan Mort out of Venice. And, Mike, your favorite player, Leander Wiegand out of Germany. Uh, 6'5", 280. He's zero stars. <laughs> so two offensive linemen coming in um, as, as well as two big old boy tight ends. Another German? Another German. We're big there. All right. We're big yeah. there. Yeah. The tight ends, I mean, it's, it's, they sound great on paper. Now we just got to throw the ball to them. <laughs> Hescock's a big dude, too. And we use them sparingly, not as much as we'd like to see. Uh, so who knows if we can work them in. The last doing this thing. These guys sound like good players. You always like to hear your tight ends, a basketball player, too. The Jimmy Graham type guys. Um, so that's good. But then. <laughs> The offensive lineman from Germany, I mean, we have one of those now. Maybe we'll build an all Dude, German he, line. Uh, so you're talking about Paul Rubel. He caught, he put a slick little shake route. I don't know if you saw the videos that they were doing uh, sort of the switching where uh, the offensive guys were playing defense and defensive guys playing offense, uh, and they were going big against big. And uh, it was uh, 
Uh, it was Rubel against somebody. I don't know. But he put a little shake move and caught a little uh, little hitch route in the end zone there, Mike. 6'10 tight end, maybe? <laughs> sure. Why not? Mike's in for I mean, How tall is Huskock? Huskock's like 6'10, isn't he? Uh, he's like 6'8. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's some big guys. We got I some mean, big old boys there. Throw him up there. Just throw the ball up and let him go get it. Why not? We went through the defensive line already. Linebackers, Mike, only two in this class is interesting because uh, obviously we, we got rid of Mitchell or Mitchell was leaving anyway. Um, don't, wouldn't appear we have a ton of depth at the linebacker spot, but we've got Kadeem Leonard. He's a three-star guy, a kid out of North Carolina. And then uh, uh, Cole Joyce. He is a six foot 225-pound guy. He is out of Arkansas, so not, not too much in the linebacker spot. I'm not sure if we have depth there. Uh, maybe we're looking at the, the transfer portal there. Uh, and the defensive back area, Mike, a couple of interesting kids we have there. Uh, we have two kids coming to us from the from Care, uh, from California, uh, 6'2", 195. Um, uh, and then another kid, Chad Brown, is 6'3", 185. So some big corners coming out of California. We'll see if those commitments hold coming all the way across the country. Uh, but uh, that also comes in with a kid named Brandon Adams, a 6'3", 180 kid out of Georgia. So three of the defensive uh, backfield recruits, 6'2", 6'3", and 6'3", respectively, Mike, coming after some sort of tall, rangy uh, cornerbacks there, or defensive backs on the uh, on the back end there. I like to hear that. I like to have size on my cornerbacks. I don't like little guys out there that just can get jumped over all the time. These guys can go up and compete for the ball. I like to have some size out there. And going back to the linebackers, only two. And remember, this is just early signing day. There's another signing day later. So who knows what how COVID has affected how these high school kids think about signing now. Maybe a lot of them want to wait till they can actually go visit some of these campuses in person. Maybe they think after a couple more months that might be available. I don't know what they're, what they're thinking right now. And maybe UCF just has their eyes on other guys for down the road or in the transfer portal, like we were saying. So... And it's still too early to evaluate the class. How many guys do you expect us to sign on Wednesday? Well, right now we have 19 total commitments. That's not including uh, either Hundley, Javian uh, Gill, or Deontay Anderson. So if you, you do the math, you get all those guys. You're at 22. I think I read someplace, I think it was on uh, Rivals, where maybe we can only sign 23 based on transfer stuff. So I don't know if UCF would want to fill out the entire class because, to your point, some, some kids may pop free in the transfer portal that they're interested in. So... It is possible one or two of these guys either gets processed, maybe UCF pulls offers at the last minute, and or obviously they flip their commitments um, at the last minute as well. So I think the the key is you, you see where UCF strategy is at this point, right? It's, it's kind of rebuilding that, that D-line um, and, and obviously going heavy in that area, loading up on some guys in the secondary as well. You don't see really a, a ton of guys on the offensive side. Uh, so you know, maybe we, we want to hold some spots right now. They're at, we're at 19 total commits. If everybody puts, uh, puts pen to paper, plus the other three that uh, we mentioned earlier. And who knows? Oh, which may open up some spots too. So it's all very fluid. Uh, you just got to trust the coaches here. They've been communicating with these high school kids for the last couple of years now to develop relationships. They know what, positions they need to work on the most and i think we have a pretty good idea too that a lot of it is on the defensive side of the ball so hopefully they, they have they land the targets that they're going after you know that's all you can ask for if you, if you get the guys you're you're going for and you don't have to rely on your backup plans well and hopefully we keep mikey keen because all of a sudden mike the quarterback room is really thin right we were we were kind of overloaded with talent in the quarterback room losing uh, daryl mack to the transfer portal and now mckenzie to the transfer portal uh, leaves us with just Dylan Gabriel, Quadri Jones, and Park Navarro. So 
we uh, we certainly need to hold on to another quarterback in this class. Um, so hopefully the Mikey Keene um, QB thing sticks. Obviously, probably more quarterbacks available in the transfer portal. At least you hear more about guys in the in the portal. Um, but obviously, some of those guys want to come in and play right away. Uh, you know, a la you know Brandon Winbush kind of thing. So we'll see if we can hold on to Mikey Keene. He seems like another. Uh, at least another player that we've we've had committed, and if we can keep him in the fold, uh, helps us from a from a depth perspective. But here's some couple of things, though, Mike, that people are alarmed about. So let's let's sound the alarm. Things that you can you can or should or could be concerned about. Of the 19 kids that I've mentioned so far, um, at least the 19 that are uh, officially um, committed verbally to UCF, only three of them come from the state of Florida. Wow. <laughs> so they're not listening to us is what you're saying because that's all the UCF fans have been saying for the last two years or really since Heifel got here and you hear every time a, a head coach is hired at UCF that we're in the fertile recruiting grounds and we gotta lock up this area and only three out of 19 it's a little alarming to be honest and Florida is where most of the D1 schools go to recruit and we should be locking down a lot of guys and especially in the Orlando area, Tampa area, the whole I-4 corridor. We should, we should be signing a lot more guys, and for some reason we're not. I don't have an explanation for it. It's a head-scratcher. I mean, if you want to do conspiracy theories, right, here's option one. The recruiting uh, well, recruiting coordinator now, um, that's hard to say, is, uh, is Alex Golesh. He obviously from Iowa State. Uh, so maybe he hasn't built some Florida ties, so he's kind of you know sort of tapping into some of his old connections that are out there. Yeah, that's that's one uh, option to think about. Two, you, you hate to think about an option where you know maybe UCF hasn't built in inroads with some of the local schools. Maybe they're not, uh, you know, they're not able to get some of the uh, some of the coaches to um, to maybe help, you know, walk through prospects or share stuff if they haven't built a good strong relationship with local high schools. Again, I don't know this. I'm not reporting it. I'm just I'm, I'm just speculating. That would be another option where maybe you'd be more concerned. Um, obviously, it's it's really weird. Golesh and his uh, his a uh, um, availability today talked about how some of these kids have never seen the school, um, how they've never seen some of these kids are kind of taking kids at their word or the work they're sort of building on relationships that they've had in the past. Um, makes you wonder why we picked a kid from Germany, um, who seems like more of a project. I don't, I don't know much about Leander Wiegand, um, you know, but, uh, six, five, two eighty. uh, according to rivals, he had no other offers. So, that's kind of the thing that head scratches you and you go, wait, why are we, why are we taking projects like a, you know, like a Paul Rubelt or like this kid who may be fantastic players at some point, but it, it is a tad head scratching. And if, if your concern as a fan about recruiting, I understand it. I also, to your point, Mike, you, I should be really transparent with the audience. Mike hates recruiting uh, because, you know, this is just things on paper and, and how many times have we've seen a kid's name on paper and been really excited and he's been terrible and how many times have we never heard of a kid before and he's the best player ever? Uh, so obviously all this stuff is fluid, Mike. But a couple of things to, to also consider. We are currently the 60th ranked class, um, according to Rivals. And that puts us at number five overall in the American Conference behind Cincinnati, Memphis, SMU, and the Cows. Well, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we finished fourth in the, in the conference this year. That's middle of the pack in the American that's not acceptable for the being in Florida. Why are we not going after South Florida kids? I mean, look at our high school. Our high school is turning into a powerhouse now. Cardinal Gibbons about to play for the national cha- uh, the state championship again this year, this week. Why are we not coming down? Everybody from South Florida seems to go to UCF. 
You know, everybody from Broward County and Dade County, all the kids love going to UCF. How come we're not recruiting kids from those schools? St. Thomas, uh, American Heritage down here, all the schools in Miami. Remember when Godfrey came in, we got a bunch of guys from Miami. It was Godfrey and Wharton and the McCrays. All those guys came down. They all went to Miami, from Miami, wanted to go to UCF. How come we're not seeing more of that? Uh, I don't know. Are we not going after these guys for some reason? Because there's no reason not to. South Florida has the best high school football in the country. St. Thomas, I think, has more guys in the NFL than we do. <laughs> so, yeah. I, it's, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. You can't tell me that all these kids want to go out of state. I know a lot of schools from all over the country come here, but Florida, Miami, and Florida State, they, how many kids did I sign? I bet you more than three out of 19 from the state of Florida. Even the cows. I'd have to look that up. Well, to be fair, the cows are only um, – they're 56 in the rankings were, or 60, so it isn't like they're you know, head and shoulders uh, uh, better than us. But s- certainly it's – you know, it's, it's, it's a – it's interesting, um, you know, to your point, there would seem to be a lot of um, fertile talent um, lying around in the state of Florida that uh, you could go grab some guys. Uh, to answer your question, Florida is ranked seventh so far. Miami's ranked 10, and Florida State is ranked, wait for it, wait for it, 44. Good luck with that, Casey. Um, <laughs> man. Uh, but let me take a quick look. How many guys from Florida? One, two, three, four. Uh, five, six, seven of the fifteen commits for Florida State are uh, are from Florida. And then, you know, Florida and Miami have been yeah. top ten recruiting classes for as long as I can remember. Basically, this is all on name, and that's why I, I don't really get into recruiting as much because their classes are ranked what they are because of what school they are. You know, Alabama is always the number one school because they're Alabama, and yes, they have recruited great talent, but. There have been years where Miami has sucked for a long time, and they're a top ten recruiting class every year. How do you explain it? Is the coaching really that bad, or the recruits not as good as these guys actually think they are? And then, of course, you get the cases where kids are recruit are rated three stars that when they're committed to UCF, they change their mind, they go to a different school, all of a sudden they're a four star. So you take everything with a grain of salt. Uh, Eighteen of Miami's twenty commits are from Florida. There you go. Why are they signing so many kids from Florida and we're not? I don't know. And let's see here. Uh, 16 of Florida's 26 uh, are from Florida. So it would appear on face value that uh, I didn't check the cows because no one wants to check on that depressing link. But um, it would appear on face value that some of the Florida schools are definitely mining more Florida talent than we are. Again, this is could be much to do about nothing, right? You think about our best players this past season, Mike Mackenzie, Milton, Dylan Gabriel, both from Hawaii. Marlon Williams, I think, is from Alabama. Um, uh, Richie Grant, I think, is from Florida, though. Um, so you think about some of our our best players. Jalen Robinson's from Texas. Uh, Jacob Harris, I don't know where he's from, actually. That's a good question. Um, I think he went to Kentucky for a while. I'm not sure if he's a Florida kid or not. Um, Trey Nixon's a Florida kid. Um, Otis is a Florida kid. McCray's a Florida kid. So. Yeah, you think about our offensive firepower, and it's it's a tad mixed. Obviously, we have a bunch of guys, com, you know, contributing from other other areas. But it, you would you would think that if we could lock down some more talent in the Florida schools, uh, that uh, you know we would be better off. Maybe hype just doesn't think he can compete with some of these bigger schools, and so just stays away from them and, and tries to find the diamonds in the rough. But at some point, you find too many diamonds in the rough, it's gonna be rough. 
Well, you, I mean, I can live with a bunch of guys from Georgia and California and Texas and states like that. When you're bringing in a bunch of Germans uh, <laughs> that haven't played football much, I don't know. That's when people start questioning you, and I think it's fair. <laughs> I don't know. We should end this segment on that. I mean, Mike's Mike's assessment of uh, bringing in the Germans obviously could be an issue, but it is, it is a head-scratcher. Uh, but let's see how it shakes out. Obviously, there's still a lot that changes. Again, these are 18, uh, 17, 18, 19-year-old kids. Respect my decision. No interviews, please. You know, there's late-minute flips. And then there's a the transfer portal. So we'll see what uh, where UCF goes. But if you're looking at the rankings today, and you see a 60, you see his fifth in the AAC, you see he's with only two Florida, three Florida commits on the board, I could see why you'd be concerned. But um, let's just see how this how this works out here. Um, obviously, again, Hypel knows what's on the line here. So let's, let's see what he... Uh, what do you can work on, Mike? Let's do a quick fill in the blank. You ready for some fill in the blank? Yeah. I got a couple of questions for you. You've got a couple of questions for me. Here's how this is going to work, though. Uh, I will, we'll make a statement, and the other one has to fill the blank, and it's pretty self-explanatory. Even the cows could understand it, Mike. So uh, I'll let you go first. What's your first statement uh, that you want uh, filled in? Uh, your initial reaction to hearing BYU would be our opponent was blank. I'm okay with that. It literally was like, I'm okay with that. I initially, I, you know, I, I was holding out a hope that uh, maybe a North Carolina would fall on our lap. Um, I was holding out a hope. Maybe I would have taken a Florida state, even though I know they're dreadful. Just anytime you can beat the Florida state team, uh, you always take that opportunity. So I was holding a little bit of hope for that, but, um, but I was okay with it because I mean, it's a national, uh, it's a national game in this point, right? It's, it's, you know, UCF is a brand recognition and it's a, it's a top 15 ranked school. Um, and so I was good with it. I feel like if on a Tuesday night in Boca before Christmas in the year of COVID, um, to get a team that's 10 and one to, to basically come back, you know, come to our home state to play us, you know, two hours from, uh, from Orlando, I don't, you know, you, you probably can't get a ton better than that considering everything else that's going on right now. So I was good with it. All right. I was pleasantly surprised too. BYU is a name and it's not a, you know, a five and five BYU team. It's a 10 and one BYU team. They're ranked. They've been ranked all year. They've been getting a lot of hype. People have compared this team to our 2017 team. So I think it's going to be a fun matchup. Man. I was pretty excited to hear that BYU is coming. In. All right. Here's my first one for you. BYU quarterback, Zach Wilson is blank than Dylan Gabriel. <laughs> uh, similar. Okay. Dylan Gabriel, I think. Right? Okay. I don't think he runs much. I was looking up his stats. I, I think he's more of a pocket guy. I think he can run, but I think in the last few games, I looked him up. I, he didn't have any rushing yards. He had one run for like 33 yards about four weeks ago. Other than that, he doesn't run much. He can throw it around. Uh, he's got to be accurate. I think he's a, a taller kid, though, right? I mean, he's 6'3", so he's more of an NFL prospect. Um. To be honest with you, I really haven't watched him that much. <laughs> I, I hear good things about him. I, I was going to ask you, he's the best quarterback we've faced since who? Ooh. Um, let me go through a list of people in my head. I mean, Joe Burrow is the first thing that came to my head. Yeah, Burrow is the best one we played. Looking uh, back on it. And that, and that was the beginning of the Joe Burrow. was the, our game. Yeah. He wasn't great. He was great that game. game. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was Joe Montana against us. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I just don't think Ritter's all that. Um, Brady White, I don't necessarily think is all that. I mean, I don't even know who Tulsa. If Tulsa's quarterback walked into my house right now with his jersey on, I wouldn't know who he was. Um, uh, Pitt's quarterback wasn't any good. Uh, yeah, I got to go Joe Burrow. Yeah. yeah. KJ Costello was highly touted like this guy, too, coming into that game, right? He was, he was supposed to be a top prospect. It was terrible, though. We beat him up. He didn't look good. Yeah. 
You gotta say Jordan McLeod, I guess. Uh, <laughs> for the Cows. Okay. <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> enough. Can you play better than that guy? He, he put up five touchdowns on us too, or whatever it was. Probably the best quarterback we faced since Mackenzie Milton on the scout team would, would be the uh, <laughs> probably the better answer to that question. Was that so? Was that was that yours for me? Do you want me to go next? No. Oh. Um, yeah, you, you can go. It's your turn there. Oh no, it's my no, it's your turn. Yeah. Um, the thing about BYU that scares you the most is blank. Um, I kind of said, uh, I'm going to say slot size slash physicality. And that, that's where I'm most concerned, Mike, is if they can start dominating both lines of scrimmage. Uh, I mean, it's, it doesn't take a football genius to know this When you can dominate the lines of scrimmage. Um, you're going to have a, a pretty damn good chance on the football game. Uh, it, it certainly could set up for that to take place. Obviously we, we, we chronicled our, our D line size versus their O line size and potentially getting worn down there. Um, so if they can control lines of scrimmage, it's going to be a, a long game. Uh, so we've got to figure out ways to uh, to either get pressure um, on on Zach Wilson, sort of disrupt his timing a little bit, um, and we've got to make sure that we are we're you know we're we're finishing strong on our side on, on run blocks and pass blocks, and we're not we're not giving up some of those you know silly sacks we give up from time to time. So I would say their size and their physicality. Uh, yeah, the offensive line, I believe, is the second highest ranked offensive line in the country, according to pro football focus this year, that is a key to the game. But another thing that scares me about them is their dirty play. Mm-hmm. These guys are known for playing dirty. They roll in your ankle after you, after they tackle you, just things like that kind of scare me. I don't want any kind of serious injury coming out of this game, which we're making a big deal out of it. It is a big game for us, but in the long run, it doesn't mean much. Going into next year, I want to have all our guys healthy. I don't want them to come up and, and sack Dylan and, and break his ankle coming out. You know, something stupid like that. These guys got into a big brawl, I think it was Memphis, a couple of years ago. I think that was actually down here in Miami. It was, in the, the bowl Miami game. Beach Bowl, yeah, at Marlins Stadium. Because of their dirty play, and, and they're accused of it a lot. So it's not just a thing. If, if everybody says you're dirty, most likely you're dirty. Yeah. <laughs> Let me write that down. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> says you're dirty. Most likely you're dirty. UCF Mike quotes. We gotta start doing UCF Mike quotes Twitter account. <laughs> You'd be big there. All right, here's my next one for you. If UCF beats BYU in this game, it'll mean the season is blank. Oh. I mean, the season is not a success. It's already been deemed. I guess you want to call it a failure. Yeah, the season's kind of been a failure. Three losses again was not anything we we expected. It's not acceptable. Losing to Tulsa for the second year in a row, unacceptable. You could have handled the Cincinnati loss. They're a very good team. Uh, you could the the Memphis games comes it still hurts. The way we lost, having been up 21 points late in that game, we should have won that one. We should be a one-loss team right now this year at worst. And the season's not a success, even if we beat BYU. But it can end on a good note. It, it can put us back in the rankings, I think. Um, what would you classify the season as? It, well, it depends. On, does it depend on how we win? Like if we blow them out. Yes, it does. People yeah. start talking about us here. Well, I get the hindsight of writing the question, so I know what I, how I'd answer it. Um, I would say the season is a springboard to next year. It's kind of how I answered. If we are able to beat BYU in this game, and that's a, that's a fair um, you know qualifier there is how much and you know how how you know how if we win you know on a last second field goal versus if we you know beat them by thirty, 
you know, it certainly could matter, but I think it could be a springboard into next year if we're able to beat BYU. I think this is, you know, you, you talked about kind of getting momentum. You, you talked about the 2012, 2013 parallel seasons. Um, it could certainly be a springboard. Um, and so I think there's, there's as much as it's kind of an exhibition quote unquote, and um, you know, it's a, uh, you know, whatever, one of the, yeah, the, the toilet bowl kind of deals that ESPN puts together. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of positive things that we can take out of it. So I think it could be a springboard to next year. You think we're ranked after beating them? I mean, we're getting some votes now. Oddly enough, Don Williams is really creeping me out because he's voting for us, and I'm not sure what the <laughs> hell's going on in the world right now. Um, I think it's possible. Yeah, I think it's possible we could squeeze into that 25, 24 spot, right? Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we cracked the top 20 or anything, but I think we could get on that very, you know, bottom rung, particularly if it's a handily one game. Again, that's what I said earlier on, you know, when I kind of laid out my three home alone style points here is this is our chance to get our names back out there because people, you know, by and large, they don't talk about it. The only thing they've talked about UCF all year long is either Dylan Gabriel and throws the ball a lot or Mackenzie Milton, I guess too, or that, that other teams are trying to do what UCF already did. And that's the only context we're brought up in, in these days is that we, we used to do something two, three years ago. And so I think it's a, it's a good opportunity to get your name back on the stage and remind some people out there, don't forget, you know, we, you know, all due respect to some of the other schools out there, the Boise's and the Houston's. I think we kind of started this, this whole G5 playoff momentum thing. Um, and I think Hype and the boys have a chance to, to make sure people remember that. Last year, going into the bowl game, we were ranked number 33. This year, we're ranked number 29. Last year, we beat Marshall, who was an unranked team, and we ended up 24 in the polls. So this year, if we beat a top 15 team, BYU, I think we can definitely jump from 29 into the top 25. The problem or the question would be what the other teams at the bottom of the top 25 do. Who knows if some of those teams even play in games? Who knows how many bowl games actually get played, COVID or and how those teams do in those games, if they win, if they lose. So we got some teams to jump. I guess we got to pay attention to some of those teams. But I think if we beat a top 15 team, we get back in. And that'll set us up for next year. Let me ask you an honest Mike, uh, UCF Mike uh, truth serum question, right? Let's say that happens, right? So we beat BYU. We jump in. We're we end the season 23, right? And, you know, 10 years from now, whatever, we're still doing the show. We're in episode like 6,416. And we keep talking about, remember that? Well, hey, we did finish ranked in 2020. We, like, it almost feels like that. Does, does that feel appropriate to say that we would finish the season ranked after everything we've, we've, we've done and how what we've seen on the field this year? Would you be happy with that? I mean, were you happy at the end of the last year when we finished 23? <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's the thing. I don't remember, but I don't like, would you, would you, if you were mounting a defense for Hypo right now, let's say at the end of 20, you know, 21, he's having an okay season. Would you go, Hey guys, don't forget now. Hypo's had us ranked three times the last three years. Like would, would that, would you mount it as a defense? Or would well, you say, yeah, yeah, but we were ranked. Yeah. But you know, it's really not like it, it doesn't necessarily, you know, indicate how the season really went. And if you go over Hypo's career and he's here for eight years or whatever it is, and you say, well, hey, we've been ranked at the end of every season. That, that's a good point. Hey, he's never lost to the Cows. There's another good point. So even if he doesn't take us to the playoff or whatever, he's been consistent. You know, He gets us in the top 25 every year. Uh, it's something. It's better than where we were 10 years ago. Sure, sure. <laughs> I mean, remember – 2010 was the first time we got ranked. Remember how big of a deal that was? 
to all of us, oh my God, we're ranked. And we, then we were out of the rankings in one week after losing the Southern Miss. <laughs> but now we're used to it. Now we expect to be coming in. We started the last three seasons ranked. That was unheard of. We used to have to win five, six games to even get votes. And now here we are talking about whether it's a good year if we finish the season ranked. Yeah, I guess it is a good year. Well, hold on. So judging by your answer from. earlier, I asked you what, what you would say if, if UCF beats BYU, the season was blank. You still said disappointment, which means yeah. we could be 23-24, but in, in, in that thinking, it still could be disappointment, though, no? Yes. Okay. I mean, we were number 11 at one point this year. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> After yes. two games. That, so it's all about where you, you started and where you end up. Perspective, your expectations. We expected this year to be the year maybe we can crack the playoff. I mean, I don't know what the hell we were thinking. Nobody's cracking the playoff <laughs> from the so American. True. But it, we had a shot. We I don't know, man. I mean, yeah, we would have need some things to break our way. We would have needed Cincinnati to stay undefeated. But we started off higher than anybody else. You know, we, I think we had momentum. If we had beat Memphis, if we had beat since, yeah, I mean, I don't want to do this because I'm just going to get back to the five <laughs> stages of grief again. Um, but, yeah, I, I think we had we had options. But I think we would have had life coming into the championship games. Yeah. Yeah. We would have needed some things to go our way. We would probably need Florida to beat Alabama. We would need, uh, I don't know, Clemson to lose again maybe, something like that. I think it's still my turn. I'm not even sure it's turning anymore, but I'm going to, so I actually had a question here, but uh, uh, we asked for questions on Twitter and our friend, Brian W. Peterson actually asked this question, which is kind of similar to what I had, I uh, was going to ask. Uh, so here's, here's my phrasing of the question, Mike, uh, in order for UCF to win this game, you'd like to see Josh Heupel make what adjustment? Uh, throw it to the middle of the field. Use the tight ends. <laughs> what we've been saying all year, uh, you know BYU's watched our film plenty. They know exactly what's coming. Mix something up. What was the game where we actually did throw in the middle of the field? Was it uh, the Temple game? One of these games late in the year. We tried to do it against Cincinnati. Uh, we did some some nice things schematically against the Cows um, with a few different formations. So, uh, you know what? I'd like to see him, um, I don't want to say slow down completely, but if we do get a, a two-score lead, give the defense a rest. You know, get up there, run it up quick, and then maybe slow it down there, have the, the guys look over to the line. If we can get a nice, long, seven-minute drive somewhere in there with a lead, that'd, be, that'd make me happy. Well, Brian's question was, now that the season is almost over, if you were the head coach of UCF football, what is one thing you want to change most for the 2021 season? Uh, so I kind of stole that, you know, that same question, uh, the way that sort of Brian thought about it. But, um, but yeah, I think for me, the the one thing I'd like to see Hypel do is be, um, I wrote down less predictable. Um, and I don't know what that means per se, um, because I don't know what, what else he has in his bag of tricks, but I think we know the, you know, if you, you and I have watched uh, enough UCF football, I think we could, we could probably call plays and, and we're not smart enough to do it maybe, but design a defense to figure it out. Right. You and I have seen enough. We know kind of what's coming. Uh, people who get paid to do this for a living can absolutely spot it way faster than we can. So I'd like to see him, you know, just be a little bit more, um, uh, you know, just it's a little bit different, you know, not be as predictable. You know, again, if they're different play calls, different, you know, if they're slow down the offense and they go more, you know, of a four minute style offense, uh, you know, if they're using the tight end more, whatever that means, just be a little bit less predictable because, um, particularly in those moments when, you know, we, we have a lead or, you know, when our first and second, you know, uh, major plays are being taken away from us, 
uh, you know, if those plays are taken away, if we open up for new things, and guess what? That opens those, that stuff back up. So I, I guess I'd like to see him be a little bit less predictable um, and and show a couple of wrinkles that, um, you know, can overall impact the game plan um, and, and have a different look and feel for the defense. Yeah, I'd like to see him develop a four-minute offense. I want to see him be able to do be successful without doing everything at lightning speed. You know, a four-minute offense where we have a nice, comfortable lead, give the defense a rest, be able to run the ball down somebody's throat, and end the game that way. I mean, how many times the, the Tulsa game we had a double-digit lead, the the Memphis game we had a double-digit lead, going back to last year we had double-digit leads. Be able to finish those games. You should not be blowing 10, 20-point leads in the second half of games. That, that is what drives me crazy. Can we just put teams away with – punishing running offense and not have to rely on bombs every every time we go out onto the field i think that's three apiece right that was my third that was your third um look, real quick we actually answered a bunch of these but i do want to acknowledge the people who left us some uh, some messages on twitter uh at uh, ucf crush uh was asking about recruiting what should we expect from the early signing period and beyond i think we kind of talked about that um, our friend at UCF MSU Clemson still getting to those new show old shows, by the way, uh, is BYU better than any other bowl opponent we may have gotten. Um, I think we all agree. It, it definitely is better than what we were looking at, at that point. Tony C uh, Kilotone 407 wants to talk about recruiting. I think we covered that. Uh, we talked about Scott wanting to potentially harm UCF offensive linemen. And then Brian wants to know about changes we would make. So, uh, so thanks all for the questions. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, chiming in and giving us something to uh, talk about. Coming up next, though, uh, we got cows, we got pigs, all that still to come. Don't go anywhere. Sons of UCF, episode number 111, coming right back. Mike versus everybody. All right, picking time, picking time, picking time. So Mike picks games each week. Uh, it's a lot tougher in 2020. I feel bad for Mike because every week he picks these games. And then, you know, we record this like early in the week, usually Monday, Tuesday. And then by like Thursday, I'm seeing like pretty much every game Mike's pick got uh, canceled or postponed. And so poor Mike can never catch a break. But I guess, you know, first world problems in a pandemic to uh, to not get your games played and your picks. But uh, Mike, some games I think you picked actually were played last week. Uh, what did your record in those turn out to be? It's basically every week I get one game canceled. So I won again this week. The Cincinnati-Tulsa game was not played. So I had two games that actually were played. I went one and one. I won the Army-Navy game. Army covered that one. And I lost the Memphis-Houston game. I took Houston and Memphis beat them. So one and one on the week. For the season, I'm 17-16-2. and two. Oh. In the pool tracker, I'm 45-28. and 28. I have a one-game lead over UCF 87. I don't know if they end it this week because it's the conference championship game. It was, remember, we were only picking American games. I don't know if they end it this week or if they're going to actually count the American games in the bowls. I started writing this guy 87 an email this morning because he. Had, I figured he had clinched it, even though the worst, the best he could do is tie me. He has a couple-game lead on UCF MSU at Clemson. She's a couple games back, but if this was the last week, he would win. But then I had to cancel the email because I don't know if they were going to do it for the bowl games. Either way, so, we, we need to get in touch with this this person. I don't know who it is. 
because we need to. Okay. Well, his name's Daryl. All right. We need we need to get Daryl in our lives. Either we need to get him on the show, uh, or we need to get him some sort of a uh, Sons of UCF memento memento here. Not that we have any mementos, but uh, we need to get Daryl in our lives. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, the winner of this thing is going to get some cool prizes. I already got something I'm working on, and yeah, we'll give something on that. It looks like I'm going to be the overall winner. But whoever finishes next, we'll get something to. Yeah, humble brag. Okay. (laughs) All right. All right. Well, well then you've got games for this week, guys. So this is an interesting week because there's some conference championship games or some regular season games. Some other conferences are playing. I don't even know what the hell's going on anymore. Well, I've only picked American games all season long. This week, there's only one American game, championship game. So for the other two games, I'm I'm doing conference championship games this month. Okay. All right. So... Let's do the music and game number one. Northwestern plus 20 and a half points against Ohio State. The Wildcats had a convincing win in the opener this year, 43 to 3 against Maryland. But since then, a bunch of close games. They beat Iowa 21 20. They only beat Nebraska 21 13. They beat Purdue 27 20. They beat Wisconsin 17-7. They lost to Michigan State 29-20. And they beat Illinois 28-10. Nothing impressive on that resume. And the Buckeyes have dominated some of these same teams. So they beat Nebraska 52-17. They beat Michigan State 52-12. They did play one close game against Indiana. They won by seven. But Ohio State, you know what you're getting with these guys. They've been in this game many times. They've won the last three Big Ten championships. They've been in four of the last six Big Ten title games. I know they were gifted a spot in the game this year. They only played five games, but they are the best team in that conference. I think they know that they may need some style points in this game. And they did the same thing in 2014. They went into that championship game knowing they needed to do something impressive. They beat Wisconsin that day 59-0. I think Ohio State comes out. They make a statement this week to get themselves into the playoff. They win this game easily, 51-10, to 10, covering the 20.5 points. I'll take Ohio State. Ooh, it's a tough – so, obviously, I actually – reasons known only to me. I end up actually watching some of the Northwestern-Illinois game this week. I have no idea what the hell happened to me. <laughs> um, and so, Northwestern wants to muck the game up, right? They're a defensive team. The thing you mentioned of all the points is – Typically, their their opponents weren't getting anywhere near 20. I think 29 was the highest total I heard you say there. Uh, so they want to muck the game up. They want to ball control. They actually had a couple of good running backs. Uh, so they want to take the air out of the ball, and they want to just control the clock here. Obviously, Ohio State wants to score, 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 score. But I don't think that Northwestern can keep that offense down for that long. I, don't, I know Northwestern's offense can't keep up with Ohio State. Uh, so I, th- 20 is a lot to lay here, but uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to your point if it's not, you know, 45, you know, 17 or something like that. So, um, I, I think I can concur with you on this one. I think Ohio state knows that people are, are assuming they're not a good team. And so they are, uh, they're going to put the, put the hammer down. Right. Uh, they actually faced each other in the championship game, I think in 2018 and Ohio state won that game by 21. So right around the same number this year, uh, game number two. Clemson minus 10 and a half against Notre Dame. This line opened at seven and a half and jumped up three points really quick. Remember the Irish won the first matchup earlier this year in double overtime, 47 to 40. No Trevor Lawrence in that game for Clemson. 
that's a huge difference. Even though Clemson still put up 40 points. The college football playoff, these teams matched up against each other in 2018. That was the last time they faced each other. And in that game, Trevor Lawrence, 327 yards, three touchdowns. Clemson won 30-3. to I think the key to this game will be if Clemson can get pressure on Ian Book. They were not able to do so the first time around. They do that this time. I think they'll be okay. The first game was in South Bend. This one's going to be in Carolina. A little more of an advantage for Clemson. I think Clemson and Trevor Lawrence win big in this one. 42-17. I'll take Clemson. I'll lay the 10.5 points. I'm not sold on Notre Dame. I know they've been they've had a good year, but something about them I, I just don't buy. They have not looked great offensively the last couple of weeks. Um, and you're right. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence not playing. DJ Ugalalele. I don't know if I pronounced his name right. He, he played. Obviously, he's a true freshman. Uh, you, you add in the Trevor Lawrence factor. Um, 10 point. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I think I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you. Clemson will, 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 Clemson will take it by 10. 10 plus. Is I, yeah. there... G- give, me, give me 38, you know, uh, 38, 17, 38, 20, somewhere in there. Notre Dame, everybody seems to have them penciled in for the playoff. Is there a score they can lose by that would just say, okay, that was embarrassing. You guys are not deserving of a playoff. So. Well, if they get, get Kevin Sumlin, yeah, I think, I think they're in they're in trouble. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, if they lose by, you know, a field goal, they lose, you know, by seven, by ten, um, as long as they don't get their doors blown off, I think they still have a good shot. Um, but that's going to be an interesting one for, for sure. Um, but, yeah, I think Clemson with Trevor Lawrence, I think they're going to be too much. So both of these teams get in the playoff. Alabama is already a lock for the playoff, too. And probably Ohio State, I guess. That's the four we're looking at. Yeah, I feel like Ohio State and Alabama are probably the most locks of the locks, right? Because I feel like both those two can probably win their championship game pretty easily. And even if Alabama happened to lose to Florida, I still think that they would get in as like a four spot. Um, yeah, it's going to come down to Notre Dame and seeing how well they play against Clemson, right? Do they play well enough to... You know, retain that fourth spot. Um, what Texas A&M is the other school that's up there. Um, so, you know, we'll see how how that shakes up. But they're not even playing the conference championship game, so you need a lot, a bunch of chaos behind that. So. Would it be funny to see Alabama? I mean, I always root against the Gators, but for chaos' sake, for, for Florida to beat Alabama, Alabama to lose, Notre Dame to lose, and both of them still get in the playoff, uh, <laughs> it would cause a little bit of chaos. And then you get the Pac-12 teams, right? Uh, you got USC over there undefeated. You don't think they're going to be banging on the door saying, what the heck, we, we were undefeated and these teams are not? How come we're not getting in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get the record says they're undefeated, but that's why we're doing this whole you know committee thing, right? Because in theory, they haven't looked great. They had to eke out wins against Arizona and Arizona State. They haven't played uh, a good number of teams. The Pac-12 was down. So, I mean... I, I guess in theory, yeah, they would have a, a, an argument, but um, and Cincinnati. And then there's yeah, then there's Cincinnati. That's that's what I was kind of <laughs> that's what I was going to head to next. Is the Cincinnati find a way to sneak in here, right? If they, I mean, they've got a so they've got Iowa State. So Iowa State and Oklahoma are playing the Big Twelve. You know, I know you're not picking that game, but if Iowa State wins and you, you know, the chaos you talked about takes place, and Iowa State's already a leg in, in front of Cincinnati. Um, but I guess that's you know most people seem to think Cincinnati has no shot to to get in here, and they're yeah, they're probably right. Yeah, and the, the committee already has used last week against them. They, they're saying, oh, they didn't play that week, so now they, we've got something against them. And Tulsa, uh, man, Tulsa since, likes to hang around and make your life miserable. We saw this. We know this. We've been here. 
Uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if Tulsa doesn't hang around and make this a 21-20 Cincinnati win. It's not going to be convincing. And, you know, they're going to be like, well, they could barely beat a you know, 25-ranked Tulsa team. So, you know, uh, yeah, Tulsa is not going to do them any favors because if, you know, we're just anointing Cincinnati as a win. But, you know, we've seen Tulsa pull a rabbit out of their ass way too many times this year. Well, don't get ahead of me because game number three. Wait a minute. Do you pull rabbits Tulsa. out of your ass? You probably don't do that, do you? <laughs> Tulsa getting 14 and a half points at Cincinnati. Like we just said, this game was canceled this week. The Bearcats have not played a game since they beat UCF. And it's going to be four weeks now in between games for them. A fun fact. They've been pretty much eliminated from the playoffs without losing a game, which we all know how that feels. Uh, Tulsa has found ways to win these close games all year long, like you were just saying. They have a tough defense. I think they can bottle up Ritter. They got Zayvon Collins, one of the best linebackers in college football. 14 points, 14 and a half. That's way too many for me to give up. I think Cincinnati wins. They're at home, but I don't think they're going to win by that much. Maybe they win a 10-point game. Maybe it's a three-point game most of the way. Maybe they, they put in a touchdown late to seal it. Something like 27-17. Maybe I can see 27-20, something like that. But give me Tulsa with the 14 and a half. I think this game will be a, a close one most of the way. Yeah, Tulsa, uh, Tulsa covers all day. I'd love to see them win it, frankly. But uh, Tulsa uh, covers all day. Yeah, I know you keep saying that. And I'm with you because I don't like Cincinnati. But at the same time, for the big picture of things, I want Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina to go undefeated for the season and not get in the playoff. And then we're adding more teams to our side of the argument saying, you know, what the hell? Something's got to be done. And I think the more teams and USC, let's let them go undefeated and not get in. You know, and then we start having all these conferences come together and say, we have to expand this thing. Something is not right with the way we, we decide to champion in this sport. And if it's just us, like say Cincinnati loses and Coastal Carolina loses and USC loses, and none of them stay undefeated, then they're all saying, you know, people will use that against them. Well, you guys didn't go undefeated anyway. What's your argument? I think if we have three, four undefeated teams, it could lead to change one day. That was that was beautiful. That was a beautiful speech. <laughs> uh, if I can change, and you can change. Everybody can change. That was, right? that was a beautiful speech. Uh, and uh, I, I, I think you sincerely mean that. However, until the TV contract's up, ain't nothing changing. So I think we're stuck until like 2024, 2025. But those are UCF Mike's official picks. Make sure you tune in next week and you'll find out how we how we did on those picks. And we'll find out the exciting conclusion, maybe, of the pool tracker tournament. And we'll have to figure out how to get Daryl on the show and Daryl into our lives. But um, next up, uh, we wrap up with the cows. Sounds to UCF. I'm Jeff Allen. Join me each week for unique yet common sense opinions on sports on the Jeff Allen Sports Talk Podcast. We will break down the sports world minus the hot takes with prominent guests and my stable of sports guys. It's sports conversation the way it should be. Search Jeff Allen Sports Talk wherever you get your podcasts or go to JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. This is UCF Athletic Director Danny White. And if you don't want to be the cow of the week, you need to listen to Adam and Mike on the Sons of UCF. Charge on. Go Knights. We do this each and every week. We find somebody or something that has, uh, you know, made us scratch our heads and say, what the hell's going on around here? 
we call it the cow of the week and uh it's typically not an award you want to win but uh don't you uh, don't you worry we hand them out nonetheless like you get to go first as always and uh, i'll let you tell me who you think is worthy of your cow of the week sometimes these things just write themselves for you uh, i can't tell you how much i enjoyed saturday afternoon i know there was no ucf games this week but i actually had the house to myself it was me on the couch for like six hours. I watched the Miami game. I Baby. watched the Florida game. And what joy I got <laughs> watching those games. Start with the Miami defense. A top 10 Miami team. The U is back, blah, blah, blah. They're going to go to the Orange Bowl with a win after this game. Their defense allows almost 800 yards of offense to North Carolina. Two running backs go for over 200 yards. One of them for over 300 yards. I think they both averaged 13 yards a carry. It was like having two Kevin Smiths on the same team. It's basically what I was watching. <laughs> 62 points allowed. They proved the Hurricanes to be frauds that we all knew they were. They were going from the Orange Bowl to the Gator Bowl. That was uh, just a horrific performance by their defense. They could have been a cow easily. And then the cow of the week <laughs> just writes himself right in. You can't plan it any better. Well, we first said we were going to do these segments this is exactly what i pictured doing <laughs> the cow of the year marco wilson florida gator throwing the shoe 20 yards downfield the game was basically over i know it was tied at the time but the gators had stopped them on third down they were about to get the ball back and <laughs> they would have had plenty of time to go down and kick a field goal or even score a touchdown instead he gets called for a personal foul lsu continues to drive Give the kicker some credit. Comes out there and hits a 57-yarder in the fog. I mean, that was a hell of a kick by that guy. The Gators still had time. Went down. They missed their own kick. They would still be alive for the college football playoff. They win that game. You know, they come. They would come into this week against Bama. They win against Bama. They're in. You know, they'd be the SEC champ. One loss for sure. They would get in. Instead, bonehead play of the year. Remember us getting on Alex Ward earlier in the year. For throwing a helmet? Yep. What was that, the Tulsa game? Yes. I mean, time, time set by 10 here in the final minutes of this game as your team has a chance to win. We were still losing by, what, 10 points? I don't forget what we were losing by at that point. This is late in the game with the game on the line, the playoff on the line. What would we be saying about Marco Wilson if he did that in a UCF uniform? Oh, my God. The whole show, the last two hours, have been dedicated to that one thing. And it, it kind of made me happy seeing some discipline issues over there in Florida because I don't like Dan Mullen either. He's kind of a jackass. You can see the team kind of taken after him. So I've really enjoyed this, this whole Saturday and it capped off with the Marco Wilson thing. It's cow of the week. Did you enjoy it as much as me or what? I did. I did. I mean, I've never, I mean, I've never heard anybody get a penalty for throwing a shoe. Uh, obviously I understand why it's a, uh, why it's a penalty, but uh, yeah, it just, it was, it's kind of fitting. Someone put this on, on social media. Um, it's funny that you see a team that has a coach that's undisciplined uh, also plays undisciplined. And that's kind of what that was. Right. I mean, I, get, I understand probably the heat of the moment, like the shoe gets in your hand. Maybe he probably wasn't assuming like he didn't go rip the kid's shoe off and throw it himself, but obviously you can't throw the shoe. Uh, and so it was, it was just perfect. It was a perfect end. Uh, and, and what's going to get lost on all this, Mike, is that kicker for LSU just banged home a smooth 57 yarder. And I'm all over here. Like, dude, we got a Barsky. Yeah, I know. I was thinking the same thing. And 
How about the timeout situation there at the end? The LSU didn't have any timeouts. They would have had to run him on with like 10, 20 seconds to kick that field goal. And instead, Dan Mullen calls a timeout for him. I, I would have let him try to do it against the clock. You know, I, I, Mullen was trying to save time for himself so that he could kick a field goal in case he did make it. I don't know, man. Yeah. And the Florida kick, that looked like it was going in for a while too, and it just missed. So, I don't good. feel bad for the Gators at all. It was a good game. It was a fun game to watch. Uh, Florida, I mean, they were moving the ball up and down the field. I don't know how many yards they lost. They had like 390 yards in the first half themselves, but kept turning it over. So, good for them. Good for LSU. <laughs> that made me happy. It was entertaining. I mean, there was not a lot of <clears throat> fantastic football on on Saturday, right? So, you know, to your point, if you were at the at the house by yourself on the couch, you probably were watching a lot of great football because Miami was getting boat raced and weren't a lot of great games on. So at least it was a good game to end the day. Um, and you got coach O finds a way, man, you know, go Tigers. I mean, he just finds a way to, to make sure that they, they come out on top. His press conference at the end was hysterical too, by the way, when they're asking about the shoe and he just kept like staring at the camera and smiling and laughing. Um, <laughs> it, it, it certainly was, uh, the most Gatorific way to, to lose a game. Uh, and it, uh, it feels good. Uh, so Miami goes down, Florida goes down. Um, I have a couple of cat of the week options too, Mike. Um, I don't know if you know. Are you familiar with a, a a kid by the name of Martin Emerson Jr.? He plays a cornerback for Mississippi State. Have you seen any uh, anything about him recently? No. So my my guy here gets a gets a pass breakup uh, against a receiver from Auburn, and like gets up and he is just in this uh, kid's yeah, face. Yeah. He is just in this kid's face, giving him the business. They're they're yelling and screaming at each other. I mean, he's just basically like, hey, come get some. I got I'm, I got you all day long. Don't you even worry about it. And I'm making these words up because I probably can't say what he really said. Uh, and then uh, the snap the ball, and the receiver goes down and burns him on a 38-yard touchdown. <laughs> like, literally runs right past the kid. Uh, it was it, it, It's like my biggest pet peeve is people who get up and talk trash after making what I consider to be like a routine play. You know what I mean? Like if you if you stop somebody on a fourth and goal to win the game, and you want to you know start running around and, and wolfing at people, I'm all for it. But when you tackle the receiver on a you know on a on a uh, second and six uh, at the four yard line, like you know just get up and yell and scream and stand over somebody and you know the no fly zone stuff. That's my other pet peeve is when the ball is like sailing out of bounds and the the cornerback does the no fly zone like he actually yeah, somehow influenced the play. Uh, so nothing's better for me than when you see a guy talk a bunch of trash and then just get burnt right afterwards. Uh, and so uh, Martin Emerson uh, got up and uh, and and he got payback, I guess, uh, or he got paid back uh, by a long touchdown. I did see that highlight. I didn't know. I didn't remember the kid's name when you first brought it up, but I did see it. It was pretty funny. <laughs> and literally the next play, like like quite literally the next play, he got burned. So a lot of good, uh, fun, cow worthy stuff on. Uh, uh, on uh, on like, this college football weekend too. So that's always it's always fun when you have some of that stuff. We usually have some other idiotic stuff to come through, but uh, a couple of good uh, a couple of good options at least for Cal of the week so far. But uh, uh, but Mike, we're we're down to it now. I mean, uh, so recording schedule. Mike and I have not worked this out, but we'll probably do this uh, this way, Mike. And and so obviously we'll be at the game Tuesday night. I know typically we record on Mondays. We probably will not put a show out on Monday. Uh, we probably will not be in any sort of condition to put a show out on Tuesday. So maybe you get a Wednesday night record release situation. Uh, so we'll, we'll give you a, a recap of, uh, of what happened, Mike. So I, I think that's our tentative schedule as long as that works in with what uh, you got working on there. Get a show out before the, uh, uh, the holiday break there. Give you some time to, to hang out with the family for Christmas. Well, what's your schedule like? When are you coming down to town? Are you coming in Tuesday morning? We are in Monday. Uh, we're getting in. We're leaving Monday morning. 
Uh, I'm going to try to see some family uh, pre-football games so we don't uh, spread any COVID-ness uh, around. So we'll see some family and stuff on Monday uh, afternoon-ish. Uh, and then, obviously, Tuesday is ball game day. All right. And remember, there's a basketball game at 4 o'clock. I'll, I'll get out of work early that day. And I already sent you the memo. I think there's a little uh, – there's a guy that is a UCF alum. I guess he runs the Hooters in Boca. Don't want to go to the Hooters for wings. Yes. So, so I could I could hang out at Hooters for a couple hours before the game. That'd be cool with me if you guys were down. Well, uh, a pregame show. Trace is uh, Trace and I are talking to figure out a way to get a pregame show working here. Obviously, you and I will be kind of tied up, but you know maybe we'll work something out where where Trace has the comm. You and I can kind of just just kind of beam in from wherever we are and and uh, and chat with Trace for a little bit. So we'll see if we can get a pregame show worked out. We'll see uh, if if that can come to fruition. Uh, maybe live from uh, from that venue. Maybe as we're waiting to go in the stadium. Uh, we'll work something out, but, uh, obviously we'll, we'll probably wait till after the game to put out a show. That way we can talk about what happened. Oh, I didn't know Trace was still going to put out a show that day. All right. So that's cool. We're, we're, we're discussing, we're trying to figure out if we can make that work logistically. Uh, obviously, uh, if there's a, it's a three man show and and two of those aren't available, uh, Trace is either (laughs) going to be talking to himself or we got to figure something out there. So we will, uh, obviously that'll be on social media. So just follow us on that stuff. Uh, sons UCF at UCF Mike one, and we'll let you know when, uh, when, and if we got that uh, happening, if you happen to be at the game, uh, what are we? Two twenty seven, Mike, is that our section? Yeah. Not yeah, sure. Right at the fifty-yard line. Not you sure what the rules are. If you're allowed to walk around and see people or whatever, but uh, Mike and I will be there. Um, trying to check out the weather. I don't know if this is shacket weather or not, Mike. I haven't decided yet. Nah, I don't think it's going to be. Well, I mean, the shacket's not long sleeves anyway. It's not. No. It's like more um, a trash bag, though. I don't know. I just pushed the wrong button. You sure did. I know you tried to FaceTime me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to try to open up the weather. It's been <laughs> That's long. not nowhere near the weather. It's, uh, let's see. It says here, high 77, low 61. So maybe a little cool in the 60s at night. It would be perfect football weather. Okay. The shacket, you can wear a shacket. Well, maybe go shacket. Eiffel's going to be wearing a shacket. Well, he is. Um, if we were smart enough, we should have gotten some shirts made. And then we could have worn like Sons of UCF shirts. But, of course, we always do things last minute around here. So, uh, yeah, we didn't think of that. But, uh, but yeah, if you're, if you're around, Mike and I will be there, uh, obviously – uh, again, I'm not sure what the rules are around these things, but uh, if you're near, near our section and uh, you want to, you know, say hello or whatever, happy to uh, to say hello to anybody who's in and around there who cares that we're at the game. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd love to meet some of these guys that listen to the show. I, I know a bunch of them are going to be out there. So, if you want to come hang out with us, I mean, I don't think we can tailgate, so that's the problem. That's why I mentioned going to the Hooters. Or, you know, and there's other options, but Hooters sounds like fun. I know you got the wife and kids with you, but. They like chicken. I mean, wings. Uh, who doesn't like chicken wings? Who doesn't like chicken, right? And we got to find a way to watch the basketball game too, right? It's an ESPN Plus game. It is. I guess we just watch it on the phone. It is a Plus game. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could beam it on the phone there. Um, yeah, because I don't. I guess I. I hope it'll be on an 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 establishment such as a Hooters. Yeah. Either that, or we just hang out in your hotel room and watch it there, and then go to the game or something. It's an option too. Yeah, that is definitely an option too. We. Uh, about tw- I don't know I think it's 15 minutes from the from the stadium I didn't look all that up I'm not responsible for the for the accommodations and lodging in my family so <laughs> we'll work that out but uh, but either way uh, no matter when if we put out a show uh, Tuesday Wednesday uh, pregame postgame <laughs> whatever uh, we will uh, we'll certainly have you covered uh, a bird's eye view of hopefully what'll be the final uh, victory for UCF this year cap off a, a really odd 2020. 
and hopefully go out uh, with a uh, with a nice nice little pre Christmas present for all Night Nation out there. Uh, and don't forget basketball also Saturday night, uh, 9 p.m. Florida State. Um, so stay up late. I think that's an ACC network game. Um, so I don't know if anybody gets that out there, but check out ACC network for uh, UCF basketball. Been a bunch of delays. Houston got postponed. Uh, I saw uh, Stetson was begging for a game. Obviously, that didn't work out. So uh, so a couple of hoops games coming up here. And uh, obviously, the, the big Boca Bowl as well. But uh, all things of that nature will be covered here on the Suns of UCF. So make sure you uh, you tune in next week, Mike, and we'll give you all a recap. And uh, hopefully, we'll say hello to you guys down there in Boca. And uh, we'll definitely be back next week to recap it all. Sounds good, man. I'm excited. Can't wait to see you guys and have fun at the game. So let's do this thing, man. I'm ready. Right. I wish the game was tomorrow, but I guess we got to wait another seven days. A whole another seven days, but we will be back. So everybody have a great week, and uh, we will talk to you all next week. Go Knights. Charge on.